What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real BM, colon, a movie podcast, where you didn't really ask for it, but hey, I'm going to give it to you anyways. And also, my co-host is going to give it to you anyways, because he is a lot smarter than me, and uh, don't listen to what I say. <laughs> anyways, uh, if you are new to this uh, program, uh, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. What we typically do on this podcast is we'll talk about some movie news, some movie trailers that drop throughout the week and commentate on them for you guys, and then we will have a review or reviews of movies that drop on said weekend, and of course, box office results to accompany that. This is episode 251. I cannot believe we've made it to that number. It is absolutely insane. The movie on uh, the docket today in question, on trial, if you will, is the 2018 Halloween movie, but also it's Halloween 2 because it follows the original, but it's called Halloween. Uh, so you have a Halloween from 78, a Halloween from 2007, and a Halloween from uh, 2018, but also this one is the sequel, like I said, so it should be called Halloween. But you know what? That's just <laughs> semantics, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's just minor stuff. It should, it should have been called Halloween, the myth of Michael Myers, I think, because <laughs> the they're kind of mythologizing some stuff but i mean they, anyway. they even have a line in the movie that said uh you know uh what, what is that like a elements or elements of of the thing were made up yeah, or whatever so i yeah. forgot what it was uh we saw the movie a long time ago and speaking of long time ago uh we are recording this on a wednesday and you guys are getting it on sunday october 28th and that will be a few days before halloween so i thought you know it's just perfect you know we get to drop this episode you know, a few days before Halloween, and we're talking about Halloween, and it gave you guys plenty of time to go see it, because uh, we're probably going to get into some spoilery stuff uh, with review, because that, it, trust me, there's stuff that requires it. Um, um, so yeah, anyways, that is what we're doing uh, today, and of course, Joel has his surprise review, but before I throw it over to my wonderful co-host, uh, please uh, spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, uh, whether you're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, YouTube, um, you know, Castbox, wherever Spreaker, you guys know the drill. So, this movie podcast two fifty one is about to start right now with uh, Joel introducing himself. Um, you know, Joel, uh, we haven't we haven't spoken to each other in quite a while. We haven't recorded anything in quite a while. You know what what what's been going on over there? Oh, it's been a busy week. Um, my uh, store manager has been away on uh, her first anniversary trip. So we've all just kind of taken more hours. So this past week has been exhausting. But um, <laughs> so I have this coming weekend, uh, by, by the time people are listening to this, um, a movie in theaters that I'm reviewing and a bunch of movies at home that I'm reviewing. And I've already watched all of the at-home ones and written all the reviews in the midst of having written some reviews last week. So – uh, that's part of the reason why, plus a bunch of work shifts, um, which means that I am ready for for I was ready for a break. I kind of just took a few days off. Uh, next thing that I'm doing is is Beautiful Boy on Friday evening, and um, I haven't really watched anything or even thought about writing anything since Sunday. So it's been kind of nice uh, to just kind of put that aside to focus on a on a heavier uh, work week. <clears throat> just got off of a seven hour shift. And uh, had a an eight hour shift on Monday, and anyway, just been kind of crazy for sure. Uh, not not much has happened in terms of personal life stuff though, like away from work and the podcast. Um, 
trying to think. Yeah, there's not not really anything happening. So my birthday weekend is next weekend, so I'm I'm excited for that. Um, we'll be recording an, uh, our reviews of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and yeah, so what about you? Has anything been going on? Well, uh, when you guys are listening to this episode on Sunday, um, it's, it's weird because we're recording this on Wednesday, but when you guys are listening to this episode, uh, I will currently finally be moving out. Uh, so that will be done. I will have a different background for my um, YouTube reviews because I'm recording in front of a white wall right now, which is about uh, pretty accurate to my personality. Just bland, <laughs> uh, super bright, you know, um, and also he, just kind of depressing at the same time. So he is he is correct. I'm just kidding. I'm just I, it, kidding. No, it, it's, it's very true. <laughs> uh, you know, the white wall just accentuates my personality. But no, it's uh, it's been pretty pretty good. Um, of course, over you know the time we last recorded until now, you know, saw Halloween in preparation for this episode. I, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, last night. Uh, Joel knows what I thought about it, but you, you guys don't. And so, um, you guys will get that episode next week for sure. And then I don't really got any more, um, screenings or screeners coming up. Uh, there is one I'm supposed to get. I was going to give to Joel, but they haven't replied back yet. Hopefully it's soon. Um, I hear a rumor from somebody else who's waiting for it that it might be tomorrow as of this recording. So Okay, so uh, Joel will get it tomorrow. <laughs> so um, and I know Joel's super excited about that. Oh, yeah. Um and so that especially for his birthday weekend, it's just a it's the birthday gift that um I always dreamed of giving him. So um yeah, other than that, just kind of uh keeping it chill. Um trying to think of anything I've I've seen on television. No, just keeping up with my normal stuff. Um I have such a such a weird taste. Um, I play to both strengths of my personality and even my brain, where um, I will watch a show like This Is Us and cry my little heart out and uh, realize that my my life um, is just as uh, heartbreaking as the people on television. And then I will watch South Park the next day. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so that that is how my brain works. Uh, I don't know how Joel puts up with me, but here we are. Um, Speaking of television shows, I just finished oh uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh, nice! What's um, of it? Which I had been making my way slowly through with my um, assistant manager at my store uh, for the past couple of months, and that is now one of my all-time favorite shows. I adore it um i had never seen it before i think i'd seen like half of one episode once and i don't remember which one so that tells you um yeah that was a that was the that was the significant thing that i was trying to think of uh, i also started the legend of Korra, but i kind of checked out in the middle of the third episode of the first season so i don't know how, how much farther i'm going to go into it but um, I'm definitely going to be watching The Dragon Prince, which is their new show the, from the creators on Netflix. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one a try because I've heard it's uh, it's somewhere in between the quality of the two, definitely closer to Avatar. So uh, not related to either of them. But well, I mean, uh, hey, you're you're not alone. I know that my high school friends uh, they absolutely love that show, and I remember <laughs> in 2010 when we saw the the movie. Oh, I just okay. I remember I, I turned to one of them and I was like, Well, I've never seen the show, so how does this hold up? And they're just like, This might be the most depressing day of my life. And I was like, Okay <laughs> then, I know how you feel now. I, um I'm I'm telling you, it I mean, I 
I saw the movie and, you know, having no idea really what the show was at that point. And it was it was pretty bad even to me who, you know, I just I didn't know. Oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I thought to myself like, ooh, wow, this is bad. And that's why I had to affirm yeah, like, yeah. my belief. I was just well, like, I was like, hey, so is this like anything like the show? And they're just like, no, yeah, no it is not. not. The, the show has this perfect balance of. Humor and heart and action scenes, and the movie is has a weird take, uh, weird approach to the action. It keeps back, and that's Shyamalan style is wide shots, but it doesn't work for that action because a lot of it has to do with the kinetic energy between the characters. And so, in the show, there's a lot of movement uh, in and out of the the characters' spaces, and so in the movie, it's all kept kind of back. Meaning that like the 3D conversion was totally useless because nothing was coming at the screen, and so, um, and also the 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 movie mispronounced a bunch of names that uh, like it's not Ong, it's Ang, it's not Soka, it's Sokka. Um, they couldn't even say Avatar right half the time in the movie, <laughs> and that's the that's the uh, what it's all about is avatars, and it's completely humorless or if it's not completely humorless it's really awkwardly humorous um and yeah the the but the show man if you if you still haven't seen it it is it is amazing and i i just it's the the mythology is as dense as the lord of the rings series i would say like across the the in in terms of like how how lived in the world feels you know, and is just it's fantastic. So that was that was the big thing is I watched these final five episodes uh, with my um, manager on Sunday. So okay, well, hey, yeah, if I ever have uh, any free time or if I'm on my deathbed or if you know, uh, <laughs> just wh- wh- whenever I have the time, I will. Uh... When you're on your deathbed, I'm gonna have you watch a whole bunch of stuff. To... Oh my god, I so I, just, I knew it. I knew you it. Can't... You won't be able to enjoy your last minutes on If if you guys thought metaphorically <laughs> I was saying that Joel was going to one day kill me, no, it's literal now. He's going to do it. Like he's going to show me all this stuff. I'm going to get bored. And I'm like Joel, I have to go to the bathroom, and he's like, no. And then I'm going to get a UTI, and then I'm going to die. That's just how it works. And I'm just like, okay, fine, Joel. I guess I'll just get a UTI and die. So, uh, um, yeah, no, uh, uh, I've heard nothing but great things from my friends. Now you, like, you know, it's just it, it is. It will happen, but just, you know, uh, uh, priorities, priorities. Um, so, you know, uh, Joel and I were gone for quite a bit. You know, there was no episode last week, and so there are some news that uh, news stories that dropped and, of course, trailers and stuff. So, Joel, let's get this started, man. What, what's going on in the, the industry? Well, the first major thing uh, is the fact that Warner Brothers has moved uh, One Woman 1984 – from its original release date of uh, in November of 2019 to uh, to June of 2020. Um, now, this is one side of a coin, and I'll get to the other side in a second, because I think that there's a good thing here, and then there's a kind of not, not so great thing here. Um, but this is this is the only thing that made sense because as is in November. Um, it was going to be right before Frozen 2, which is coming out over the course of Thanksgiving week, exactly six years after the first one. 
and then Star Wars Episode Nine, which is coming in uh, December. And so that's some pretty hefty, even for Wonder Woman, that's a pretty hefty competition. So the only thing that made any sense for them to do was give the new movie the same release weekend, uh, give or take a couple of days, as the first movie uh, and separate them by three years. It's the only thing that made any sense. I think that this kind of indicates to me something of a paradigm shift within Warner Brothers to rethink the DCEU model because it will have been then a year and like three months if they keep Shazam in the same uh, release date since a movie strictly in this universe uh, comes out because of, of course remember that or wait no I'm sorry isn't um, is Birds of Prey 2020 it might be, but yeah, Birds of Prey is as of right now February twenty twenty. Okay, so so that'll be almost a year since the previous one, um, since since the previous one strictly in the universe. Because remember, of course, the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix is not connected. Um, that's just kind of a stand. That's a one off. So um, yeah, so this totally makes sense. It it allows Wonder Woman to rule summer twenty twenty, and I I use. Um, Scott Middleton's words here because he's basically pretty much completely right. Otherwise, I mean, there's there's still quite a bit in 2020 that we don't really know about, but we do know that, you know, in terms of the Marvel movies, there's really only one. We don't know what it is yet, but in May of 2020, um, however, if Scott Mendelson's theory is correct, they're probably going to softball that one. They're probably going to give us some something that's kind of fillery, which means that Marvel's not going to rule the summer as usual. There's no, there's not going to be any sort of summer star Wars movie, at least not that I've heard of in 2020. So this gives Warner brothers the chance to completely dominate that season. Uh, unless something else comes in and it's insane or avatar or something like that. I don't know, but, um, it's it's great news because I think that uh, again I think that this signals kind of a paradigm shift. I think maybe even with Birds of Prey we could be seeing a different kind of DCEU um, just from what we've heard about all of the shifting around um, and all of the reconsiderations. I think that they've been having a messy time trying to figure it out especially considering they've already released movies in this universe. But this is the best thing that they could have done is kind of just move this to a place where it can absolutely thrive rather than meeting two gigantic uh, money makers in a row. The other thing, though, all right, so back in 2014 is when The Flash was cast. And, of course, it was Ezra Miller who was – first introduced in that weird dream sequence in Batman v Superman and then officially in Justice League. Um, and finally, his movie is going to be coming out, but apparently not until 2021, which makes it seven years to the day or to the year that since he was cast, his movie's coming out, which I feel like might conflict with my idea that this is uh some sort of a paradigm shift unless they're using the extra year or so to to figure out you know their strategy i feel like we're still getting mixed signals here i i want some sort of 
idea from them that they know what they're doing because I don't because I don't know the Wonder Woman moving Wonder Woman suggests that they do moving the Flash to a full year after it was supposed to come out suggests that they don't I I just I don't know what to make of this um, because as of right now you know they got one movie now next year. Uh, with Shazam, and they've got an, an awful release weekend that they need to move it from. So, what's going to happen to Shazam? What's going to happen to Birds of Prey? Is now an interesting situation because if the if the new decade brings sort of this new vision for the DCEU, how much rides on that movie? Because now maybe that Shazam isn't so important. It's just it's just an interesting set of situations. Um, what are what's your take on all of this? Well, the Wonder Woman thing makes sense because the first one came out in June. Why would you release it in November? So yeah. them kind of dominating, you know, twenty twenty and having that talk around Wonder Woman again is is perfect because I, I, I'm sorry to say Warner Brothers, but you're going to get smacked down and pushed around next year when you have. Marvel's first female-led superhero movie. That's already going to, you know, um, be in the airwaves in terms of talk. And then you have one of the most anticipated comic movies of all time with Avengers 4 coming out. So that's going to dominate conversation. And then, of course, you actually have one of your own movies dominating conversation right now with the, with Joker. So it just makes total sense that you get that out of the way and put it, does it in isol- It does isolate it a little bit because there's really not going to be so much talk about you know, um, uh, birds of prey, I feel, yeah. uh, that feels that's early. So early in the year, I think that that one feels like a bit of a softer hitter than this does. Um, you're totally, you're totally right. And then, uh, 2021 is going to bring stuff like suicide squad two, presumably. Um, if, uh, unless they make that, I guess for 2020, but I don't, I don't, feel like that's going to happen and then uh and 2021 you know who knows when guardians 3 is going to come out so it's it's such an interesting thing to look at the early part of next decade without any sort of certainty about what's going down now of course we're still a year and a half or a year and a few months away from that so but that, a that, lot that's of what's kind of exciting is that year, yeah yeah, we, we have no idea what's going to happen. Now, as far as the Flash thing goes, that thing's never getting made. It's just like with Black <laughs> Adam, those things were announced during the Prohibition era. Like, why? why <laughs> like, they have nothing's happened yet. Like, it just, I, I remember back, um, I know I joke, but it was back in like 2000, I want to say 14 or 13, when Dwayne Johnson was announced as Black Adam. And it's just Ooh, like, yeah. why yeah. do you announce this stuff? way ahead of time and then you keep pushing and pushing and pushing like i guess if you want to look at it from a um you know uh like our standpoint take your time on it sure but it just makes warner brothers look bad when you keep pushing this stuff over and over again i won't believe the flash is a real thing until i see actual set photos because the cool thing with wonder woman uh, 1984 is that we know it's shooting right now. We have seen set photos, so that that is more tangible right now than a um, uh, a Flash movie. And I, I still don't know what they're gonna do. Like we we have to see how Aquaman plays out, how Shazam plays out, and we'll get more of a sense of what they want to do. But right now, everything is just so confusing over there that 
like I told you guys a while back, I'm honestly the only thing I'm excited for is Joker because yeah, I need to I'm, see I'm, how this universe is going to shape out. But until I see Aquaman and all that stuff, I'm just going to assume that they're running around with their heads cut off and they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, it's I'm I'm with you. I'm significantly more. I started out not so much, but I am significantly it's because, more. It's excited. because I slowly convinced you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, he has he has strange uh, abilities to convince people of things. Okay, so, um, yeah, it's it's a, such a weird situation, and it gets weirder for Warner Brothers, which are with our next news item. Uh, this is really interesting. So, they're taking a lot of their animated properties from like the i don't really actually know when they when they started but um in the midst of the 20th century um stuff like tom and jerry scooby-doo the flintstones the jetsons uh wiley coyote um it's the wacky races i don't know what that is but anyway um so all right so they're developing a lot of feature-length movies. Now, of course, we've had two Scooby-Doo movies that were theatrically released. Uh, we've had a couple of like direct-to-DVD uh, direct feature-length ones. Speaking of uh, James Gunn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he... Uh, he wrote the first one. Yeah, he wrote the first two. He wrote or, the first okay, two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he wrote both of them. Um, and not to great, like, success in my opinion but <laughs> no it, it was it was it's kind of rough but you could you could see his style in it like you could see the 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 thing that he was going for but it was it was pretty lame um i don't think that we've ever had a tom and jerry feature length movie in theaters I'm trying to think about that but i'm pretty sure it's not happened uh we have had an animated jetsons movie um we've had a couple of live action um movies for the Flintstones, although <laughs> I really only call one of those a live-action movie. Uh, the, Viva Ross, uh, the Viva Rock Vegas thing was interesting. Um, so, I think... So, okay. So, there's going to be a mixture. There's going to be a couple of these, uh, the Tom and Jerry and Scooby-Doo movies that are live-action animated uh, mashups. And then the rest of them are going to be animated only... Um, so, and those are going to be the Jetsons, uh, the Flintstones, the Wile E. Coyote thing, which, uh, and the Wacky Races movies. Um, here's the thing. I mean, you know, they were, they were fun shows. I, I, I kind of outgrew them quickly, um, except for Scooby-Doo. I think I, I stuck with that one for a while. It's a fun show, but, um, I don't really care about this. I, th I I get why Warner Brothers is doing it because they've had these, you know, they have the Harry Potter brand and that's a big money maker. But the DC stuff is, they spend too much money on it and then all of that stuff tends, except for Wonder Woman, has tended to underperform. So I think that they're probably looking for something else to kind of turn into a brand. Um, and I get it that they would go back to this stuff because I think that people will... Uh, in generally enjoy this. Uh, they've got various directors. There's um, uh, Tim Story from the Fantastic Four movies, and Think Like a Man is going to be doing the uh, Tom and Jerry movie. 
Uh, Chris Columbus is going to produce the Scooby-Doo project, although I don't think they have a director for that yet. Um, of course, they've got the Space Jam thing with uh, all the Looney Tunes. Um, and then they've got... Uh, let's see... Oh, Chris McKay, who was one of the uh, people in charge of the Lego Batman movies doing the Wile E. Coyote versus Acme movie. Uh, they got Matt Lieberman and Conrad Vernon attached to the Jetsons movie. Of course, Conrad Vernon uh, is from Sausage Party and the Kung Fu Panda movies. Um, and then I think and, – and, and then the others are, are a little more vague. But um, – yeah, I don't really care about this. I get why they're doing it. I don't have any strong opinions. Do you particularly have any strong opinions? So it's almost like Warner Brothers is a family. And, you know, every Thanksgiving, they have all of their family members come over, a.k.a. their properties that they own. You know, DC is always there. You know, they're always like, you know, somewhat not depressed all the time. Like they know that they're doing well, but they know they have problems and you have like you know the Harry Potter movies. They're just you know they're they're trucking along. They're just good, happy people. You might have um, you know uh, some of the horror franchises that you know is under like the James Wan universe. It's just like oh, they're doing really well. But then you have the Scooby Doo's, the Jetsons, and the Flintstones as the family member to where Warner Brothers loves them, but they also just. They just really don't want to talk to them. It's like it's it's that type of family member inside of that environment that has always astounded me because Warner Warner Brothers has had these properties for decades and they still make stuff like they never quit on them. So it's almost like as if this family member has like some weird um, quirk about them or fetish and like they just never want to talk about, it, but they always want to support them because they're family. Because, I mean, if you look at the, uh, if you go to any Walmart, they still make movies with um, the Scooby-Doo franchise with the animated stuff. You know, Scooby-Doo and the Michelin Tire Man. It's like, why are they together? <laughs> uh, Scooby-Doo and uh, Slimer from Ghostbusters. Cool, that makes no sense. Um, actually, that makes more sense than the Globetrotters, but whatever. Um, uh, so, I-, I could care less. I appreciate that they still continue. And if these, these uh, movies and if these movies are fun, I mean, yeah, great. if they're, if they're yeah. fun, then that's awesome. Just the, con- just... just the concept is so tired. I I, I just feel yeah. like well, and that, that's that's kind of like my point where it's like they've been around for decades to where it's like we're just we're kind of tired of it. But I I understand that like kids will you know latch onto them and then grow up with them and then a new, a new generation will come in. I get that, but once again, it's the property that's been with them for many 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 years to where like they support. And they put up with their quirky family member, um, but they just don't really talk about that much. So like every once in a while, they'll throw money at it and see what happens. But they just, you know, it's like you said, they give love to everything else. But then this is just kind of like, let's just funnel so much garbage through a funnel and just see what sticks. So I don't know. Some of these could be good. All of them could be bad. Some of them could be even great. Um, it might make like best animated list of that year. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of I'm kind of indifferent at this point. Yeah, pretty much the same thing here. Um, all right, but <laughs> okay. The next bit of news is weird to me, um, baffling for various reasons. So Disney is worried. Uh, the MCU well might run dry. The 
Star Wars well might run dry. It could happen at any point. Um, and so for some reason, they feel like they need to go back to the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, even though it's made a billion and a half dollars and, um, and all of that. Uh, so they're looking at a reboot of the series following uh, the, def- the uh, Dead-, Dead Men Tell No Tales or whatever it was called um, last year, the thing that I barely remember. Um, <laughs> uh, with the writers of Deadpool attached, that's recent Paul Wernick, uh, presumably, you know, Johnny Depp's not going to return because he's probably going to be tied up with Fantastic Beasts for the next several years, considering it's there's three more movies after this next one. Uh, we don't know if Orlando Bloom and Karen Eiley are coming back, so I don't know what they would do with this universe. Um, and honestly, I don't want this to happen unless Gore Verbinski is involved. That That's my personal opinion. I also think that what Disney needs to do is just honestly put okay the meg just made a ton of money for warner brothers and the director of that movie made national treasure one and two both good movies fun movies they've been talking about making a third one for a while i feel like that series made enough money back in the day that they could just bring that back and create a series out of that because i think that that would be fun even if it isn't with uh, Nicholas Cage. I mean, it can be. It it could be with somebody else. Go back to that material because I feel like it. Um, we didn't have the two tired and familiar uh, and boring, you know, installments in the franchise that were on the on Stranger Tides and Dead Men Tell No Tales for pirates. Um, that's my take. I, I feel like this is not a great idea for them to do this. Um, I guess I get why, because people are, you know, kind of showing their, their, um, their hand in terms of the fact that they're already kind of tired of Star Wars movies. The, um, the next phase of, of the MCU is going to be apparently without core episodes like the Avengers movies. So it could be that people kind of don't really take to that. Uh, but I, I just, I don't understand why they're going back to this, um, which hasn't had a good movie in the series in 11 years. So, uh, what's your take? You hinted before we recorded that yours is different, but I don't know how, I mean, how you're looking at this. I don't mind them doing it. Like, it's weird. Like, I don't really care about the franchise anymore, but I actually don't mind, like, a breath of fresh air into the franchise, if that makes any sense, because these are two writers that, yes, I don't think they really fit with this universe, but they're they're a fresh voice. Um, should they reboot this whole thing? I'm kind of whatever on it. Um, I, I don't really know what to think, because Johnny Depp, whether you like him or not, he's the heart and soul of the franchise and without him or even writing Jack Sparrow off or recasting, it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to feel right. And I don't know how people are going to react to it. These movies make a ton of money. So obviously there's still a market there. Even the last one, which uh, Joel is absolutely correct. I don't remember anything about the movie except Javier Bardem having half a face. 
Um, <laughs> so in that movie, still made eight hundred million worldwide. I mean, yeah, it's a step down from number four, but it still made a lot of money. Um, getting these two involved, <laughs> obviously, the comedy is going to be there because um, these guys are primarily comedic writers. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just. It's it's too soon. It, I think it's I think it's too soon to kind of reboot. I mean, it's only been fifteen what fifteen years since the first one. I mean, I guess you could, but you it's like Joel said, you just had one come out last year. Like that's still in continuity with the others. So I don't know, man. Um, am I curious? Sure, but um, I I I don't really care personally just because I'm not really a fan of the franchise now. But I think hiring them two to do it, I'm wondering if they're going to do kind of a different spin on the pirate genre and kind of do something a little different. Not, I'm not saying like, you know, completely self-aware and all that stuff like a Deadpool or even Zombieland, how it spun its head on the zombie genre, but maybe they could do something different. And I'd be willing to kind of take a look at it from their, their viewpoint um, so that's the only thing I'd be excited. Like I said, it's, it's weird to where like, I could care less if they're going to reboot, um, or all that. But then at the same time, like, it just sounds stupid. But then if you're going to hire these guys, so it's kind of like this weird mixed bag for me, but it is something very unexpected that I didn't think Disney would even reconsider, um, rebooting. Cause that does mean if you reboot, I don't think there's going to be a Jack Sparrow in there. And if there isn't, that means there's no Johnny Depp. And I don't know what's going to happen since that's kind of like their bread and butter, you know? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's a bit easier now that his name has kind of been... Yeah. Yeah, but then again, they didn't really care about that. With that is very true. The fifth one, whatever number last year's was. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting i i'm i'm not particularly i i feel like if they do this then you know it could be the thing that takes that last weekend in may for a while so and they kind of need that weekend uh they've they've proven that that they need the the labor day weekend thing to make any sort of money um on their like big you know in-house properties um you know, they tried it with Solo, that didn't work, but Pirates has almost always been there, except for, I think, well, the first two weren't, but the third, fourth, and fifth were, um, and, and they, they made loads of cash, so I have a feeling that that's, um, that that's the situation there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, but not interesting at the same time, I guess, uh, Bring on National Treasure Theory. That's what I say. I, oh, my I God. Like Joel's series. been campaigning for that movie for no, what seems like 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they should they should do it. I'm just saying. All right, guys. So a bit, a bit of a quick casting corner here. There really wasn't a lot uh, this week. But uh, the first bit of news comes from uh, Warner Brothers again. Uh, Demian Bashir, straight off the nun. Uh, and also an Oscar nominee for A Better Life. Uh, he was in various things since um, since this since that movie um, is going to is the latest to join the cast of Godzilla vs Kong, which just recently uh, added Julian Dennison from Deadpool 2, Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta. Uh, this one's going to be the fourth movie 
in the Godzilla Kong Cinematic Universe. Haha. <laughs> the GKCU. There we go. Um, yeah. Joel, know, that right? just sounds <laughs> gross. We need to come up with a better acronym for it. The Giku. I don't know. Um, the Giku. <laughs> the the Giku. Uh, following, of course, Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, and then this upcoming. Um, uh, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which will predate this one by just less than a year. Um, and of course, Millie Bobby Brown's in there, Kyle Chandler and, and uh, Zhang Ziyi from uh, all of those people are from uh, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, it's a, there's a rumor going around that Denai Gurira might be in it, but I haven't heard anything solid about that. Uh, however, Bashir is a really good actor, so um, I, I didn't like the nun very much, but uh, I thought that he was—I thought he was fine in it. I guess he was probably the best actor. Um, he certainly knows his stuff. He's been nominated. He's worked with a lot of really good directors. Um, so that's that's cool. The next one is uh, not connected to anything particularly. Um, well, I guess it is an adaptation, but whatever. Uh, it is called *The Silver Bear*. This is a political assassination thriller and i'm going to read the very long thing uh synopsis so uh here it is it's a, based on a book by Derek haas um who is actually a screenwriter of part of the fast and the furious series he wrote wanted he wrote three ten to yuma um and this was his debut, uh, novel writing debut as a series. Uh, the first in a series that that's expected to launch uh, a new thriller kind of franchise. And this is what it's about: when a young man, or when a young hitman who refers to himself as Columbus, learns his next next job is to assassinate presidential candidate Abe Mann. Columbus is not taken aback so much by man's national prominence as he is by the key role man once played in Columbus's past. Soon Columbus realizes that those behind the plot appear to be setting somebody else up as well, himself. The suspense builds as Columbus goes about his business, all the while um, detailing his accomplishments, his acuity, his nerve, his intelligence. Then he does something so unlikely that the reader immediately realizes that whatever the author intended, this is the narrator. This is a narrator too unreliable to listen to, much less trust. Uh, so this one's going to be starring Michael B. Jordan, uh, putting him on the path for another series um, to, I guess, kind of keep time with the Creed series that he's working on, if that's a series. Um, and it's going to be, uh, let's see, is there a director attached yet? Let's see. I don't think that there's any sort of director attached yet, but this is really interesting. It's interesting material for sure. Uh, sounds like a pretty intense story. I never read the novel. Not not familiar with it. Uh, I think that it's fairly new. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool. The last bit I don't really have any thoughts about because I haven't seen the musical that this is based on, but Cats, you know, previously we, re we reported that it has already added um, – the likes of Taylor Swift, Jennifer Hudson, and Ian McKellen into its cast, and another person has joined that cast, and that is Idris Elba, uh, the fine actor from films like Thor Ragnarok and uh, The Wire and various other things, The Office, ha, uh, 
Charles Minor. Molly's Game, he was in that. Um, so I haven't seen the the uh, the musical. I don't really have any thoughts except that he's a fine actor, uh, and I'm certainly excited to see him in this kind of context of a musical. It'll be very interesting. So, um, Chase, what are your thoughts on all these? Well, uh, to start out with uh, uh, Damian Bashir, I-, I didn't really care for The Nun, um, but he sold me on uh, the the priest role. I didn't really care for the priest character, but he definitely sold me on his performance. Um, and of course, you know, I I haven't seen his older stuff, but I do recognize him from stuff like The Hateful Eight, and I, I know that he is a, a talented individual. So anything that he can join, I'm sure, can elevate it. And to be quite honest with you, like um, these Godzilla movies and these King Kong movies are getting some class A talent across the board. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really kind of baffled that Warner Brothers is able to sway some of these um, kind of more uh, talented people into this franchise. So that's, that's great news all around. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, he's one of these guys to where he has always been talented. He has his franchises like a Creed, and he does comic book movies like a Black Panther. But I don't think we've ever seen him have like a strong like movie where he is the lead and we besides maybe like a Fruitvale station where we can see that like this guy's a powerhouse. And I just want him to kind of sink his teeth into something that he is super passionate about and he's gonna just bring a thousand percent and really kind of turn turn our heads to where we go, oh wow, this is something completely different from him and it's something really unexpected. And I think that's always great when an actor or actress can do that. When they do a project and we like we know what their pedigree is, but then they do something so radical uh, in their performance and in their character that catches us off guard in a good way. So that that's never a bad thing. And uh <laughs> the cats thing. So I'm assuming uh, the director Tom Hooper really loved the Jungle Jungle Book movie because uh, seeing Idris Elba as uh, Shere Khan was probably just enough for him to be like, okay, he's going to be my cat's movie because he played another uh, cat very convincingly. So um, <laughs> I I have no words for this just because I'm kind of like with Joel. It's not like you know Joel and I jump up and down for for musicals. We will watch them um, and even Broadway stuff. I'm not. I'm not all too familiar with that world. The only one I've ever wanted to see, but I missed my chance, was the Book of Mormon because I'm a fan of you know Parker and Stone. But other than that, I've never been like wanting to go see a Broadway show. It's not because I don't like plays or you know Broadway or like on stage musicals or whatever. It's just I've never had the opportunity to, and they're expensive. So, but. You wrangle a cast like this with like an Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, and Taylor Swift, whatever. She can sing. She can fit well into a musical. But, I mean, if you have this type of talent, you throw it into a movie like this, and it's directed by Tom Hooper, I mean, I kind of want to see it now. Um, You know, Tom Hooper doing, uh, you know, the King's Speech and the Less Miserables, uh, which I I still haven't seen, by the way, but... um, you know, so he's going to have interesting cinematography. He's going to have really great set design. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to do the whole singing on set thing like he did with uh, The Less Miserables. But, um, 
Uh, I, I guess we'll find out. Uh, but, you know, because I'm not going to dog on the whole Taylor Swift thing. She can sing. And you're putting her into a, um, a musical. So that makes sense to me. Um, it's just like, and who knows, maybe we'll be surprised, kind of like with the, the situation with Lady Gaga, where it's like, yeah, she's been in stuff, but with The Star is Born, she proved to us not only can is she one of the best singers in the business, she can act pretty well, too. So, um, hey, listen, if Idris Elba is joining something like Cats, then I kind of have to respect the man for it, and I kind of want to see it now. And, and, of course, on top of all that, you got Hooper directing it. So, uh, yeah, I think out of all these uh, little casting bits, I'm more curious, more fascinated, and I I kind of want to see Cats now <laughs> because of this casting. So, yeah, that's that's where I uh, where my mind's at. It's interesting. I totally forgot about Les Miserables uh, until you brought it up, and I don't like that movie at all. Uh, <laughs> usually, usually I don't I don't quite side with your what have they done last thing but mm-hmm. that's a musical that the director has made <laughs> so it's it's just fair see, see guys he... slowly slowly but surely joel is coming around to that little thing that i like to do he, he's slowly starting to come around to where he's like you know what this is a musical what was tom hooper's last musical oh so you know you know i'm starting to get joel to think a lot more in that mindset and i'm sure, I'm sure it's irritating the crap out of him but i'm glad that he's slowly and sh- but surely starting to do that yeah um yeah uh, les miserable had a you know vaguely effective first 45 minutes and then the remaining two hours because it was two hours and 45 minutes were a slog and a half and he has this weird way of shooting musical numbers super close and without any sort of like well it has a way of shooting everything super close but yeah um without any sort of like magic kind of or any sort of like cinematic i i just i don't know suddenly i'm i'm really not optimistic about cats um it'll be something what i'll probably do is this is what i did and i and i know a lot of people are going to like turn off the episode now but i watched les miserables um the most recent right before the movie came out um version of itself on on stage on youtube because I think that there's like some like YouTube channel that does that. They they um they will load up you know well well shot versions of the uh of the play of the of, of the play or musical or whatever um onto YouTube so that people who can't pay for it or don't live in the in the area where it was being performed can watch it. And that's what I did. I watched all uh three and a half hours of it before seeing the movie. And so that's how I became familiar with the musical version of that story. Of course, I'm familiar with the story in general. I've um, seen the 1998 film with uh, Liam Neeson and Uma Thurman a bunch. Now, this one has a similar thing. I think that there's a DVD that we have at work that's a performance of it or something that I'll have to rent before this happens. If not, then I'll, I'll probably do the same YouTube thing. Um, so I'll become, I'll become familiar with it before I see the movie. But... Now I'm not super optimistic about this just because of the fact that, you know, as fine as The King's Speech was, I, I really like that film. Um, he did direct a musical, and the musical kind of sucked. 
So it's it's just it's very interesting. So, all right, guys. Uh, last bit of news, uh, so to speak, is my weekly Oscar beat. Uh, and this week, I'm going to be covering the visual effects contenders. Um, this is pretty straightforward this year. There's a, a lot of very clear contenders, in my opinion. Um, movies that will kind of fall off just because of their pedigree, and movies that will rise up because of their pedigree. Um, and in this case, Disney is ruling this year because I have a feeling that we have some very clear-cut contenders on the bubble. Um, two big Disney items, Ant-Man and the Wasp and the Nutcracker and the Four Realms, could easily be contenders. Um, I have a feeling that the more um, practical effects of First Man might get it in. Uh, there's some pretty uh, stunning effects in that movie. Uh, I think that the effects of Peter Rabbit might get that. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but it does look good in terms of the effects work. Uh, similar to Christopher Robin, although I think that the Academy would respond to the work in Peter Rabbit more for some reason. Uh, and also Welcome to Marwin, which is going to be a big prestige movie anyway in December. Uh, it's going to be fresh on their minds. And, I, and basically how this works is there's... 10 i think it's 10 or 7 or 10 uh finalists and then five are nominated from that list or i'm sorry is it uh yeah it's five five are nominated from that list um trying to think because i think it used to be three but uh turned to five uh, a while ago however the big top contenders i think i think that disney's still going to rule this i think that they're going to have three films nominated in this category. Uh, there's going to be Avengers Infinity War. I feel like that's a no-brainer considering it's so popular. It's going to be a movie that people can vote for in this category. And it's impressive work too. It's a lot of work. There's so much going on in that movie visually. Uh, there's also Mary Poppins Returns. Which is definitely going to be a big uh, a big contender. In a lot of uh, technical categories. As you all will discover in the weeks ahead. Um, I think that Bumblebee might get into this category because transformers has generally done well um before age of extinction and since this is kind of a uh, a new thing in the franchise i'm feeling that it's going to be and it looks pretty impressive visually got to say um i think it's going to be a big contender and then there's warner brothers uh, which has ready player one which is the most extravagant um visual effects of the year this is one that could easily take the cake if not for the fact that even though the visual effects are not very good and Chase is about to groan, but I have a feeling that because of the way that the visual effects branch votes, which is quite literally in their own category and best picture and literally nothing else, that the major big top contender this year is Black Panther. Um, there are a lot of really unimpressive visual effects. I think we both agreed on that. Uh, it's not a strong suit of the movie, but it is a movie that they can vote for, and it is a movie that they can get behind, and so I think that that's going to carry it through. If it doesn't, it's definitely going to be a nominee, but I have a feeling that if it doesn't, then we're looking at a Ready Player One victory. Um, so it's a very, very tight race between those two, in my opinion, uh, because just because of the extravagance of one and the major critical and uh, backing and seeming like prestige of the other so um 
so yeah, those are the five. I think that uh, Disney's got two Marvel movies, Black Panther and Avengers, and Mary Poppins, and also um, Warner Brothers with Ready Player One. And I think Paramount's kind of peeking in to to uh, with their with their Transformers uh, movie this year. So, um, but I think I think Black Panther might take the award. Did you have any thoughts on this? Do you want to refute me? I actually am going to refute you. So. I actually think they're going to be more behind Infinity War. And it's not just because it made the most money, which, you know, ironically, Black Panther wasn't too far behind the movie. It was only like $600 million, but like it it still made a lot of money. But uh, I think Infinity War has the more impressive special effects. And I think they're going to be more in awe with that. Now, here's the kicker. I actually think that Warner Brothers will have Ready Player One in there. I would also not be shocked, since it's primarily a heavy CGI, compositing, green screen work, animated movie, Aquaman. And I actually wouldn't be surprised mm. if that won. Like, that, mm. that to me, like, when I watched um, not only the trailer, but that five-minute clip, those underwater worlds, not only are they intricate in detail with the creatures and the other Atlanteans and you know, the battles that they briefly show, it's compositing work. Like, I remember when um, BVS was about to come out, and, you know, of course, Aquaman's in that. Uh, Zack Snyder uh, tweeted out a, a uh, short little cl- clip of Aquaman um, just doing a quick shot of him swooping underneath and then um, kind of landing gently on his feet, and this was underwater, and it looked like it took so much work just to composite that and make it look natural with his hair flowing in the water and make it look as authentic as possible to where I actually think there's more work uh, put into that. And I think it will show up on screen, which will also translate to a visual feast to where I think that might actually win if Warner Brothers hmm. puts that in. Interesting, interesting. Uh, it's certainly a contender. I feel like we just have to see the movie come out first. Correct, yes. Um, yeah, because you're right. The uh, The five-minute preview was really impressive visually. It didn't look garish. It didn't look like it was too too heavily seen. Like, no, it, it, it was just right. But like it, I was actually yeah, astonished looked, at how like perfect it was in terms yeah, of the balance. It looked, it looked pretty seamless, and I have a feeling that um, Warner Brothers has a lot of movies. Yes, they do. And, even um, even with uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, they could put that for yeah. visual effects if they wanted to. Even The Meg, even Rampage, yeah. uh, certainly movies in the conversation. I feel like maybe a little farther out than others, but um, but yeah, I mean, and then Disney is insane. They have. Um, you know, not only the ones that I mentioned, but they have Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. They have Solo. They have A Wrinkle in Time. Um, a Wrinkle in Time is sort of a Black Panther situation for me, where the the visual effects were kind of sh- were kind of shaky, but they, it, that could easily get in there if uh, if there's enough um, support for an Ava DuVernay movie. Um, and then you have like I'm just kind of going down because it's actually a really interesting selection of. Uh, contenders this year 20th century fox has really only one or two uh one with their their fox searchlight which is isle of dogs as we know uh these movies can get in considering kubo and the two strings got in uh we have to start considering those now um uh stop motion animation and then they also have deadpool 2 which you know pretty good uh paramount has um annihilation which is really impressive work 
Uh, looking through, Universal has a ton of stuff that I think is on the bubble, you know, uh, alongside um, Welcome to Marwin. They have um, the house with the clock in its walls, which is pretty good work. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I think, looks like crap, but still, that's in there. <laughs> um, Pacific Rim Uprising, hey, that movie came out. Um, oh, then, it did? <laughs> it did. Uh, Skyscraper, um, certainly certainly movies. Oh, and Sony has Venom uh, alongside Peter Rabbit, although I think Peter Rabbit would be the more obvious uh, contender for them. Um, yeah, I mean, and then Lionsgate even has Ken, uh, which I think might – I don't know if it's going to make it in there. It's certainly not – a contender so so much as a a movie that can be mentioned um but yeah it's a, it's an interesting race this year it's um it's it's pretty fascinating now it's just really interesting too because alita battle angel left its release date and went to 2019 otherwise i think that that would have been the obvious contender um because that movie is very visual effects heavy um before like there was a brief period of time where i was just personally doing uh, predictions and that was my number one pick I thought that it was go- going to win it's uh, it looks impressive it has a main character who's largely CGI and now it's going to be considered for the 2020 Oscars the ones for 2019 rather than the 2019 Oscars for 2018 so uh, it's interesting how, how this is all kind of opened up because of that movie leaving um, but yeah right now I think it I, I, I pretty confident in saying that it kind of uh paved the way for for black panther to take it uh because i think that that's the movie that they're going to rally around so um that is pretty much it now we are going to move into our trailer segment uh chase i'm going to just step away real quick uh take us through the first one sir all right so i hate joel really a lot for putting me on this first trailer because um because joel joel knows who i'm dating I am dating someone of Hispanic origin. And so the fact that this is a popular, like, uh, Hispanic folktale and I have to pronounce this uh, name is going to be the most white pronunciation you will ever hear in your life. So I just want to say I deeply, deeply apologize if I mispronounce uh, the name of the film. And the first one that we're going to talk up is going to be set in the uh, Conjuring universe. And this is the Curse of La Lerona. Lerona. Her- I, oh, my God. I, I sound like an idiot. A- anyways, this is a, uh, like I said, a new film within the Conjuring universe. It's from the producers of the Conjuring universe. Um, so James Wan's not directing it. He's not writing it. But his company is producing it. And uh, it does have a similar flair to the other uh, Conjuring uh, type movies. But this one kind of focuses on the tale of a mother who was kind of suspected of child endangerment. And, of course, she has passed on. And so she kind of comes back and haunts this social worker and uh, her her own kids. Um, and apparently, like, the this this person um, that has passed, they come back and they... They snatch up kids, type of deal. I mean, I'm I'm general generalizing, but that that's kind of the uh, overall premise of this particular ghost. And so, you know, I had an idea that this was coming out because of Comic Con. I believe um, they showed a trailer or something to the audience. I remember people talking about it, going, "Oh man, this is like the newest, 
you know, spinoff in the Conjuring universe. Uh, and of course, I didn't know how to pronounce it, but thank God for the um, voiceover guy in the trailer <laughs> to uh, pronounce it for us stupid white people. Um, so, uh, you know, I had no idea what to expect, but if James Wan is producing it and it's set within this universe, it's going to have that similar visual style. Saw the trailer, and I like it, but here is where I'm going to spell out some caution for this universe. I will watch anything in this universe. That is a testament uh, to my my loyalty to it because I wanted to see The Nun. I saw it. I was disappointed. All these trailers and all these movies are starting to feel similar in the way they... You know, deliver the scares, deliver, um, you know, the stories, uh, just deliver the overall editing and flow to them. I like that. I like this style. I'm not saying that this movie is going to do it, um, is going to be wrong for copying like the Annabelles and the Conjurings and stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but it does get a tad tiring to see the same kind of delivery over and over again. Now, did this trailer work in that delivery? I think it does. But it is just something to point out that the more movies they make in this universe, that people might start to get a tad tired of them. Now, it hasn't reflected in the box office, but for me, that is a fan of this franchise, I am starting to kind of notice a little bit more similarities between all of them in terms of you know, people copying James Wan's style and making, making it consistent, sure, but it just seems across as like, hey, we're just doing the same thing over and over again. I want them to kind of mix it up a bit. Maybe this will do it. But as far as the trailer goes, they show a couple of ex- extended scenes. And it's traditional uh, James Wan reveals and, you know, frights. And they got me, sure. But um, it, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just overthinking this. I mean, Joel, do you think that you know, something, when you watch this trailer and you go, okay, this is stuff I've seen before, like, is it starting to get a little stale for you in terms of this universe and the way these movies are delivered? Because they all seem to kind of run together. Very, and I'm not convinced that this is part of the the Conjuring universe. Um, It doesn't seem very connected to me at all. Uh, I think it's just produced by James Wan. That's pretty much it. Um, But... Yeah, I believe that this looks really bad. Uh, I'm not at all convinced by this trailer that this is something that is actually scary. It's just, like you said, it's just a couple of you know extended scenes, basically. I mean, the setup with the uh, you know the fact that it takes place in the 70s and thus there's um, the little hand cranked uh, windows that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I guess ghosts have to do what they do. You know? <laughs> uh, go, ghosts just be doing what they do. Yeah, Thank you, in, Joel, for the, the uh, uh, analyzation. Well, I, I mean, like <laughs> in the in their specific like. It, it was. Just, I, I I get it. It was just funny time, the way yeah. you. It was just funny the way you delivered. You're like ghosts just be doing what they do. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, hey, today today they can they can supernaturally press the button that that uh, puts down the window. They had to hand crank the thing last time, but. Um, which makes sense. I mean, it, it, it does. It just looks like a really cheaply pro- produced movie that was made very quickly to me. Um, I, I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm a fan of Linda Cardellini. 
she's the only reason I would see this, and I don't even know if I'm going to. It depends on that weekend uh, and what it looks like. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly a fan of this trailer at all. I think that there are like a bunch of really bad horror trailers this week. <laughs> um, uh, maybe, maybe yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get so, to that. But um, uh, did you did you hear my uh, uh, how I introduced this trailer? Uh, the fact that you threw it over to me because you knew that I was dating someone that was Hispanic and you wanted to see how I badly pronounce it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you? I, well, I, hate I had you. to. I had to step away. So yeah, yeah. Um, sure, sure, you did. Um, I did, so, I did. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, anyways, I mispronounced it probably horribly, and uh, I apologize if I got it wrong, but I tried. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's La Llorona. Um, because so, something like that. Yes. Yeah, you, you pronounced the double L as a J or something. Um, I, I vaguely remember high school Spanish, guys. Um, yeah, I, I think it looks incredibly dumb, honestly. I'm not, I'm not particularly interested. It, it doesn't look surprising to me. Let's just put it this way. Doesn't look surprising to me that this is one year and one release day, uh, release weekend away from Truth or Dare because I think that it looks just about as smart. Uh, I'm I'm very down on this one. I'm this is not my least favorite trailer of the week though. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, I, right, I'm so, trying I'm trying to guess on which one that is because there's a lot of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's two good trailers this week for me. Um, so and in fact. One of those includes our next one. Uh, this is Destroyer. Uh, this one comes out uh, in limited release on on the week of Christmas, and it stars Nicole Kidman as a cop who seems to be suffering some sort of PTSD. I would guess there's a there's clearly something a bit off about her. Um, and essentially, the plot of this one is uh, that there's. I'm going to look it up, actually, because uh, it's been a little bit since I watched the trailer. So, LAPD Detective Aaron Bell, as a young cop, was placed under... Oh, yes, this is the uh, the undercover. Okay, uh, was placed undercover with a gang in, a, in the California desert with tragic results. When that leader, when the leader of that gang reemerges many years later, she must work her way back through the remaining members and into her own history with them to finally reckon with the demons that destroyed her past. And this is definitely... I mean, right on the the, uh, the poster that I'm looking at, the, nothing Nicole Kidman has done in her career can prepare you for Destroyer, and it definitely looks like that because there's there is not a whole lot here that we've seen from her before. We've seen her be intense, we've seen her be intense in roles that's obvious, but we've never seen her in a role with the kind of intensity that this role has it's a it's a different kind of energy that's being channeled here um and i think that this looks very interesting it looks like a really strong drama uh it's got a great supporting cast toby kebble tatiana maslani scoot mcnary bradley whitford and sebastian stan um and i cannot wait it's probably going to be a uh, a, uh, january release for us because i think that this is a limited one but uh yeah it looks really good it's from the directing and writing team of The Invitation uh, from a couple of years ago, Karen Kusama and screenwriters, including her husband, uh, Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. Um, really strong-looking movie. I can't wait to see how this one uh, turns out. So uh, big. This is my favorite trailer of the week. Um, and I think it's between this and one other one uh, that Chase might not expect. But um, – but I think it's this one. I think that this is the one that looks the strongest to me. 
So very excited to see this one. How about you? Yeah, by far this is my favorite trailer. This is one of those things to where I hate saying stuff like this because I sound like a dweeb where it's like, oh, they just they think everything is the best thing ever. I don't rarely ever say this about like like actors or actresses just because they're they're constantly doing new stuff and they they will always try to outdo their previous work for sure. I have been following Nicole Kidman for many, many, many years in her career. She is one of the best. A lot of people do not give her enough credit. And I, I remember when Big Little Lies came out, people were just like, oh, Nicole Kidman's back. She's never left. Like, she's she has stayed. She oh, has yeah, been, she's she, a great actress. Yeah. She has literally stayed, and she has never left. But I can tell you this right now. Uh, well, first of all, let me, let me get the obvious out of the way. The team behind um, The Imitation sold. I, that was my third favorite movie of that year. I love, love, love that movie. Um, and the fact that, um, you know, Logan Marshall Green has been in like that and uh, things like Upgrade and stuff. Just to think, I mean, because I, 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 I still love Prometheus, but he's still like the weakest actor in there. The fact that that guy has turned his career around is just astonishing. That's a little side note. But, okay, so the obvious is out of the way. When I saw this trailer... I was not prepared for not only the um, slapping in the face of like a thousand credit quotes, but I was also not prepared for the scenes I would watch with her in it. This looks like this is no hyperbole. I, I, I believe this to be true. This might be one of the top three performances she's, she's ever given, and we've never seen this movie. Um, it, just from the trailer alone... This looks like one of those roles that we could possibly remember her for. Um, it's just—it's one of those trailers that just strikes a chord with you. Um, it looks like a generic um, kind of thriller, you know, set in this kind of, kind of type of environment. Sure. So this movie is going to be solely based on how well it is directed, edited, and performed. And I think with Nicole Kidman's kind of powerhouse performance, I think we're in for a treat. And I can't wait. I, I seriously think this might be one of the best performances she's ever going to give. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, I could just be projecting right now. But I think um, this looks like something, as the poster says, it's nothing it can that can prepare us. I don't think it's anything we've ever seen her do before. And I'm super excited for it. So, yeah, by a long shot, this is my favorite trailer. <laughs> All right, uh, sir, take us to the third one. Okay, so uh, we have a Cube ripoff uh, in the house. Uh, uh, and to be quite frank with you, I'm surprised no one has jumped on this uh, idea of a movie yet, considering how popular they are in cities around the world. And the next trailer up is Escape Room. It is exactly uh, what you think it is. Uh, if you've ever done a, an escape room in real life, uh, this basically takes that premise and just turns it into a um, a horror film where these people have to get out uh, in of certain rooms, solve a puzzle, go to the next room. Um, I mean, on on its uh, on its premise, it's a good premise. I've always liked these type of premises where they're stuck in a room or one location and have to figure out how to get out. I've always been a sucker for these things, but the problem is, this has already been done before. It's, it's it was done with Cube, 
and Cube was one of those kind of like low budget, like uh, indie horror thrillers that resonated with me because it was gritty filmmaking, but also really compelling um, with six people in the same room going back and forth. And it's just, it was a lot more than just a, a slice and dice type of movie. There was a lot more to it in terms of uh, life and death and the afterlife. And th- there was a, there was more substance to it. That's what I'm trying to get. This just looks like a, a, a generic horror film um, that I feel like is going to be a really going to have a really bad or disappointing ending. It just it just screams that this is going to be a ride that you're going to take, and then you might find yourself uh, to hate yourself afterwards. Um, the cast is interesting. That's probably the most interesting part. We have uh, someone from Daredevil. We have someone um, I've been following for years in terms of like comedy. Um, you have uh, who is that one gentleman? Oh, there he is. Uh, let me open up his um, profile real quick because I've seen him before. Yes, he's an atypical. So it's the kid from atypical. It's like you have all these people that never look like they would fit in a room together uh, quite ironically um, and work well. I don't know how the acting is going to be, um, but premise aside being slightly cool, um, the trailer was fine. It does the right amount of ramp up. But also a problem with these type of movies, with like the one location type of movies, is that I feel this trailer just showed too much. It shows us everything that is going to happen in terms of how they get stuck there. Uh, well, that that might be a little, um, you know, mystery to it. But for the most part, we know how to get there. We know the certain rooms that they have to go to to get to the other rooms. And so we already know that they're going to make it out alive in those. It's just, I, I don't know, it's really hard to market these movies. Um... So on that basis alone, I'm going to say it's a bad trailer. I, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things to where I don't really care for um, the overall thing. I'm not going to watch this. I like the premise because I'm a sucker for them. But also, I feel like we watched everything. So it's it comes out in January. It's a throwaway movie. So hopefully um, Sony can make some of their money back. And like I said, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to be funny here, but I'm actually surprised no one's capitalized on the escape room idea yet. Um, I've done an escape room before. They're fun. And I've never thought in a million years to myself, like, oh, this should be a movie. But someone did it, and now they're going to capitalize on it. So, Joel, uh, I'm assuming this is the other trailer that just um, uh, really, really struck a chord with you in a positive way. So it's between this and Destroyer, right? Yeah, it is. I I think that this looks like a blast. And I'm like you. I have done several escape rooms and i have thought during every one this would make a killer horror movie (laughs) right um i i think that it's such a perfect outlet because basically um you know it's it's like somebody's put you in there forcibly to try to have you get out i think it makes total sense and um yeah i i just think it looks really entertaining it doesn't look mind-blowing or life-changing it just looks like it's taking advantage of the uh, the malicious version of this kind of uh, setup, and it looks like it's uh, it's taking advantage of that in ways that are increasingly fun. Um, it's it's obviously you know there's going to be characters who die, there's going to be characters who live, and and I get that. Um, it's all about the fun of seeing them try to escape to me. So every other consideration, at least for right now, it goes out the window until I see it. I don't care 
if the performances right now, the, I'm talking right now, um, I don't care if the performances are great. I think that they need to uh, sell the idea of a gen- of a generic kind of desperation, and I think that that'll be fine. Uh, it's not something, for instance, that I would really talk about even in a review. I, I can't imagine myself talking about that. Um, so stuff like that I don't care about yet. I just think that this looks like a total blast. Um, it's by far, for me at least, the best uh, you know, horror trailer of the week because um, from here on out <laughs> – you know, with the one exception that's not a horror movie, it's um, it's pretty dire. It's pretty dire. Um, so yeah, I I just I think it looks. I guess two exceptions. Uh, there's, there's only two left, but um, yeah, it, it it just looks like a ball of fun to me, uh, which is not usual for a January movie. Usually, those movies look as bad as they end up being, and this one I'm 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 pretty excited for. So. That's why I mean, Destroyer is probably going to be a harder hitter, uh, hard harder harder hitter. Is that right? Um, but this does look like a whole lot of fun to me. So uh, that's all. Uh, our next trailer is one that I watched like a week and a half ago, and I barely remember anything about it. Uh, unfortunately, which is unfortunate because its director is talented, um, and. Chase, do you know what this person directed? Uh, no, so go ahead and surprise me and the audience. Yeah, this is Joe Cornish's new movie. He directed Attack of the Block. Oh, good lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so this one is The Kid Who Would Be King. And this is an original idea, apparently. I thought that it was based on a book. Um, but anyway, this is about a bunch of kids who embark on a quest uh, regarding the Sword in the Stone, uh, King Arthur and all of that, Merlin who is played here by Patrick Stewart in his regular form, and uh, somebody else, I think it's Tom Taylor, I'm not sure, um, in kind of, oh no, it's, um, I'm sorry, it's his younger form, it's played by Angus Emery. Um, So this one looks like a pretty generic, you know, kid adventure kind of thing. Stars Lewis Ashbourne Circus, uh, son of Andy Circus. Uh, in the in the lead role of Alex, uh, who is having to fight against an evil witch named Morgana, played by Rebecca Ferguson, um, and gets help, of course, from Patrick Stewart as Merlin, uh, although he apparently spends much of the length of the movie as a younger version uh, of, of himself, and uh, lots of crazy stuff happens, and yeah, it looks kind of fam- familiar and just kind of tired to me. Um, it- the visual effects look vaguely effective, I guess, uh, whenever. But, yeah, it comes out in March. So not super excited about this. Uh, don't really have many thoughts. <laughs> I kind of wish that this was a better-looking vehicle for somebody who made one of the brightest and more and most fun surprises of 2011. Um, a movie that I actually didn't catch up with until mid-2012, but still... Came out in 2011. Uh, Attack the Attack the Block was an enormous surprise. I liked that movie quite a bit. Uh, wish that I was as, uh, which I, I I should say I wish I was more excited for this than I than I am right now. But right now it just kind of looks like a forgettable f- piece of fluff. Uh, so are you pretty much in the same boat? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I, as I was watching, I was like, 
you know, uh, I was going to make that stupid joke like uh, 1994 called They Want Their Movie Back. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just, this, this looks ex- straight out of that era. You're so right. It looks like a looks 90s straight movie. Straight out. Yeah, it does. It looks like something you and I would grow up with and like we'd be like, oh, this was fun. And then when you get older, you're like, yeah, that wasn't really that good. It wasn't really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, looks like, it looks like second or third rate The Goonies. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bunch, with a bunch of kids getting together for a fantastical adventure involving uh, ancient legends and all of that. Yeah, and well, it's it, it's very the Goonies. It, it reminds me of uh, um, with definitely more action and more special effects for sure. But it reminds me of uh, uh, the kid in King Arthur's court, where it's like there's a kid yeah. in in modern Earth, and then someone's like, "Hey, you're the king of a descendant," and they're like, "That's kind of cool." And then they go down this like weird little wormhole, and then here we are. And it 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 just kind of uh, reminds me of that, like straight out of something. Joel and I would watch as like four year olds, and so I mean I'm not really too jazzed about it. I never saw Attack the Block. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things. Oh, so yes, so my first yeah. introduction to uh, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Joel. Um, Star Wars. Oh, uh, uh, John Boyega. Yeah, John Boyega. That was actually my first uh, exposure to him. Was that was, that was his basically his first role or if it wasn't his first role it was his breakthrough role because he hadn't really been in anything before that point that really connected with audiences and it was the thing that directly got him cast in star wars because mm-hmm. um just because of the fact that it gave him roles he was in 24 briefly um yeah it, it was really uh, a good good actor so well and, and who, who knows this movie might surprise where we go hey that was like a nice family movie but it just it just I, and maybe it's just because joel and i look at it through older eyes now and we're almost like stan from south park where everything's just garbage we, we just see everything as poop um you know <laughs> it just maybe this is one of those things where this is you know rock really well with kids and families and this can be nice like wholesome family entertainment like Hell, even the YouTube channel that released it is called Fox Family Entertainment. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it is a specific brand for a specific group of people. Um, and I'm not saying Joel and I are curmud- curmudgeons. Like, we like family films, animated films, kids' films, but this just looks tad too cheesy for my taste. So, I, you know. I might have to seek out, because I, I definitely saw it in theaters, uh, A Kid in King, King Arthur's Court, just to kind of watch that right before this, because they are very similar. Um, and that one had an early role for Daniel Craig. I'm looking at the cast right now. Um, Daniel oh, yeah, Craig I forgot and, he was in that Kate, movie. Yeah, he was Master Kane uh, and Kate Winslet uh, as well. And of course, Tom and, Thomas Ian Nicholas was the main the main kid. But before um, before he got um, uh, uh, pu- pubertized in uh, American Pie, I always yeah. think it's funny <laughs> that like uh, child actors that like grow up and do like raunchy comedies is just like. He was so innocent, and like uh, that, that was movie... only four. That was only four years before that. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't that nuts? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So, bring us into our next trailer. Okay. So this one's a bit of a, a tricky thing to navigate through. So bear with me here. So back in 2011, there was this film uh, that was uh, um, uh, dis- distributed by 20th Century Fox. Uh, its primary uh, language was Spanish. You know, there was English in it, but it's Spanish, so it's technically a a foreign film, but it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. I guess 20th Century Fox wanted to get rid of it, and uh, they gave it to Sony, uh, I'm sure for a price, 
And Sony was just like, hey, we're going to take this because uh, I've actually never seen it. So I, I don't know. I haven't either. Yeah. I don't know the quality, but I can tell you just from looking at the poster, there's a huge difference. Um, the original was uh, was grittier. It, it you know looks like a, just a really great adult thriller. Um, and essentially, the before I reveal the title, this is about a beauty contestant that is kind of wrapped up in these kind of drug-related murders. And so since she's a witness, they kind of rope her into the system. And so she's doing stuff for this gang. So it sounds like a pretty interesting kind of heavy adult thriller, which is exactly what the original was. And if you look at the reviews and everyone that watched it, it seems like this is a nice little gem that kind of came and went in 2011. No one um, witnessed it. So now it's 2018. We receive a trailer for a 2019 movie directed by the Twilight director. Uh, and it's called Miss Bala. Um, and it stars Gina Rodriguez. And, of course, she comes from the hit show Jane the Virgin. And she pops up in movies like earlier this year with Annihilation. So uh, she's starting to kind of get her, her footing in the movie world since she's you know kind of blowing up on TV right now. And so this is kind of like her first lead role, kind of like a kick-ass action type of role, taking the same exact premise I just told you and throwing a PG-13 on it and calling it a day. Um, I got to be honest with you, because I, I saw both trailers, by the way, because I wanted to kind of see what the vibes were, how just each one of them look. They could not be further apart from each other. Mm. It is incredible how the original, it has like this... It almost kind of reminded me of like Brick, almost where it just it felt like this really kind of gritty, not neo noir, but like just really kind of realistic in the moment type of movie where like you you feel like you can be invested in these characters and in this story and go along for this crazy ride. This just looks like like Sony just pooping out another action film that's <laughs> going to be generic and looks like it's awful. Like, and I'm not saying this because I just saw this trailer and I, I'm going to be like, Oh, all Sony movie movies are terrible. And, you know, it's just like with escape room. Yes, it does look fun, but they also make really crappy horror films. They also make really kind of really crappy, um, action films. They released proud Mary earlier this year and they usually have a January or February movie. And it looks like this is going to be it from them. And it just, it it looks like there's no passion to it. And I, I'm so sick of Sony. Now, they occasionally have hits, sure. But anything from Sony and Columbia now that comes out in January and February, it just always seems like a cheap cash grab. And I just can't wrap my head around, like, who's finding these projects? Who's greenlighting these things only to like want to make money i i get it's a business but when i see trailers like this i just i feel like there's just there's nothing behind it that makes me go everyone gave 110 percent. it just looks like generic fluff with explosions bang bang but and not really focusing on the character because if you if you look at the um synopsis this looks like a really like powerful movie based on like the main character and not like a shoot 'em up action film. So I just I don't know. Um it, it didn't really work for me. It just looks kind of bland to me. So Miss Paula, there you go. Joel, what'd you think? <laughs> uh pretty much the same as you. I, I, I haven't seen the first movie, but I remember seeing the uh trailer for it and it's you're right. I mean it basically they just take this story that's extremely relevant, um sadly right now is uh idea of 
you know, kind of human trafficking and, um, and all that and taking them and making them do things that, uh, that are, you know, illegal and horrible, horrible. Wow. Horrific. (laughs) Horrible. Uh, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, a new word has been invented. Where is Webster? (laughs) Horrific. Uh, no, uh, that's even worse. Go back to the other one. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it just, it looks so generic and just, just plain Jane. It's just not, uh, it just doesn't look interesting at all. I, I, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand why they did this and I don't understand who they expect to see this. Cause it looked, it looks vaguely racist too, to me. Um, I know that they have a person of color at the forefront, but they're still basically just stereotyping everybody else. So it's, it's weird. Uh, yeah, it looks, it looks pretty dull. All right, guys, only two more trailers. There were just a lot of trailers. There was more trailers in the last week and a half than news. Uh, so this one is also from Sony. Um, okay. This might be my least favorite trailer of the week and a half. Um, this is The Possession of Hannah Grace, and it actually comes out in about one month. It comes out on November 30th. Uh, this one is your typical possession movie. Uh, somebody finds a corpse that is maybe not quite dead. Uh, so to speak, and um, they're in a morgue, and a bunch of crazy stuff happens, and lots of things jump out at the camera because they have to be scared, and it's another one of those things where, as as with the uh, the Curse of the La Llorona uh, trailer, and also our next one, it's basically like one gigantic scene. Essentially, there's barely any other context, and it just looks really lazy and cheap. And I'm done. This is that, those are my thoughts. I I think it's the worst trailer of the week. So I, I, I take think, it away, uh, Chase. I, I think this trailer officially brought Joel. You know what's really funny is like between this one, the last one, Escape Room, they're all just like starting to blend together, and uh, uh, the Curse movie. So it's like they all just they're all bleeding together, and that's not a good thing. Um, so I think the funniest thing about this trailer is uh, you know how like when a, a trailer like says. You know, from the studio that brought you this, from the director of this, this literally said, it, I'm not joking, from a producer of uh, The Exorcism of, of Emily Rose. And I have a sneaky suspicion that was the producer that didn't do any work and uh, always wanted to be the top dog. And then they got so angry from Emily Rose because like, I, I didn't really get my full credit. Everyone treated me like crap. Then they go away for several years. They go, uh, you know, in their house. They go crazy, and they're just like, "All right, I'm gonna make my own movie to prove them wrong." And so th- this is what happens. Um, it just, yeah, it just looks like generic um, Sony horror movies that just look like there's there's no passion to it. It's just, it's just, I, it's it's its own genre. Like it's weird, man. It's like Sony knows how to crack the code in terms of just making movies. And pumping them out on a factory line. Now, the one thing that I will say is surprising about this movie is that it reeks of PG thirteen isms, but it's rated R. So uh-huh. I'm like, okay, so maybe Sony's just like, maybe for some of them they're just like, okay, we'll let the R rating slide, and then for some of them it's like it have to be PG thirteen. So, um, I, I guess that's good news, but. Uh, from a producer of Exorcism of Emily Rose is not going to get me to see it, and that's a good Exorcism movie. Um, uh, yeah, I just, 
uh, I don't care. The scares are whatever. The CGI on the actual on on Hannah Grace, I guess, looks weird um, and very um, almost reminds me of a. Uh, the CGI effects of like a hollow man. And even that had pretty decent effects for that time, but it still looked a little off. So it's the same thing with this, where it's just like, there's just something a little off about the CGI of uh, Hannah Grace. I, yeah, you're right. I'm done. I, I just, I, I, I can't do these generic. It's, it's like Sony just makes the same movie over and over again. If you were to tell me, um, if you, if you, if I had no idea what Slender Man was, like the actual folklore, and you showed me that trailer, you showed me this one, and another one that they've, uh, done recently, you show them all back to back, even Flatliners, it's like, they, they all look similar, it's mm-hmm. just, they all just like factory produced movies to make a quick buck, and Sony just, I don't know, man, like there's some producers that will care, and give us like a, a searching, like that was a Sony movie that was great, and then you get you get so it's just, whatever. All right, uh, so the next trailer and the final trailer, um, which is basically the Omen ripoff. Um, <laughs> gee, I, there's yeah, so many is. movies ripping off other movies nowadays. Um, they're just very blatant. Uh, this one is called The Prodigy, and uh, just to give you guys a little bit of reference, this comes out in February. The Hannah Grace movie comes out in a month. Uh, Miss Bala comes out in February. Escape Room comes out in January. Do you see a pattern here? So it seems like all these are winter <laughs> movies. Um, and they all look awful. Um, and Destroyer is also coming out during the winter, but that's an Oscar film. Uh, th- this is, I don't know what this is. Um, so this one. Oh, and uh, Kid Who Would Be King is coming out in March. So still kind of. Yeah, like, kind of around the same yeah. area, which is interesting. You know, it's, I guess this is the. March the 1st. Trailer March 1st. season for that time frame. But um, yeah. This one is there's a kid named Miles. Something's wrong with him. He's in a therapy session, and uh, the little metronome is going off. And you know that's how the movie is edited uh, through the the metronome uh, ticking. And we kind of just see Miles being creepy and kooky, and it kind of reminds me of the Orphan uh, from way back when. And I actually like the Orphan, but um, it reminds me of, like the Orphan, the Omen stuff we've seen before. Who now? I will give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the trailer is presenting itself to be a omen type of movie where we don't know what's wrong with this kid. People are going to say, like, the devil's inside of him. Something's possessed. Maybe, just maybe, um, they will do a twist or something that we don't expect. I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to be as generic as they come. But maybe they're going to do something different on this type of subgenre of um possession horror and they could surprise us i'm not hopeful but maybe they could um it's kind of like with the orphan where i thought that was gonna be like a generic creepy kid movie and then the twist in that was so out of left field that i kind of just love it on the basis of it being crazy as hell um so maybe it will go there maybe the prodigy will go places that we don't see maybe it'll go places that push the boundaries i have no clue but it's just and also we got we got Pet Cemetery coming out. Like if anyone's mm. ever seen that movie, you kind of know what's going on with one of the kids. So it's just like, and this comes out around the same time. So I I, I don't. Okay, this is what's weird because I've I've started to notice it lately. I don't know who bought Orion Pictures, but they're starting to release movies now. 
Like, I, I don't, I, like, who's in charge of that? Like, who's actually, like, putting money into these movies now? Um, I mean, or, Orion used to be really big back in the day. I mean, um, making, like, really these kind of, like, underground grindhouse type of 80s movies. They're super violent and they're, you know, really memorable stuff. But they went away for a while and then they came back. Uh, and now they're doing stuff like this. So I don't know who's funding them, but uh, good for you guys. Um, Joel... Um, are, are you just, are you just over the horror trailers this week? <laughs> I am. This looks really dumb. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds good. Um, that, that's a perfect segue into, uh, our, our main review, which is uh, Halloween, which is also a horror film. And of course, Joel will, will start us out with the, the, um, the specs of the film and you know, who, who did it? Where does it come from? Joel, what, what is this Halloween business? Yeah, so this is a direct sequel to the 1978 masterpiece to the same name, directed by John Carpenter. Uh, it takes place 40 years after the first film, and we catch up with Laurie Strode, of course played by Jamie Lee Curtis, as she is dealing with trauma and has locked herself away in her house. Uh, she's also got a daughter, who, uh, played by Judy Greer, who kind of rejects her paranoia, a granddaughter, played by Andy Matichak, who is... Um, kind of kept away from her to some degree. And meanwhile, Michael Myers, the uh, painted William Shatner killer, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, he is played by two people. Uh, outside of the mask, he's played by Nick Castle, who originated the role, and underneath it by James Jude Courtney. Um, he is in a mental institution, and is being sought for an interview for some reason by two podcasters played by uh, Rian Rees and Jefferson Hall. Uh, they want to find out – they want to explore a bit of uh, the evil that he is capable of, which is uh, the kind of evil that's inescapable. Uh, he is driven by wanting to find and kill Lori and um, – he escapes, and a lot of stuff goes down. Let's just say that. Um, so, of course, I'm going to first hand it over to my co-host for his review. Take it away, sir. Oh, man. You you, got, you guys were ready for this. I, Joel was ready for it. And, you know, after seeing it, what was it, last week, so almost a week ago, I've had a lot of time to reflect on it, and of course, if you guys have been following the show, or if you are new to the show, we do a top five most anticipated films of the year top at the ten. start. Top ten, or top <laughs> ten, yes. top ten under uh, the, uh, the the Joel era, uh, as uh, we'll we'll call it phase oh, yeah, two, Fa okay. phase two of the show. Um, so yes, the top ten where we go over our movies, we're just like, hey, th this is the one we're most excited for. Halloween was on there. And it's because I have enjoyed slasher films since I can remember. The original Halloween is uh, one of the best suspenseful horror films out there. Um, it's a horror film that restrains itself in its violence and can still creep you out. And Carpenter did that in the late 70s with this small little indie film that could. So I have been a huge fan of Michael Myers and this kind of story forever. But also the other component was who was writing it and who was directing it. Um, and, and of course, you know, you got David Gordon Green directing it. And the guy's got one of the 
the most interesting like filmographies on the face of the planet. Like it's actually like kind of stunning that it's, this is the same guy that did your highness, uh, pineapple express, and then does drama films, uh, as well. The, the guy's all over the place, but I like him for that. Cause he, he, you know, keeps it interesting. And of course, uh, he also co-wrote it and he co-wrote it with, uh, two other people. One of which is a person that he always works with. Danny McBride. Yes. That Danny McBride that talked about, <laughs> um, where to masturbate in, uh, this is the end for like five minutes straight. Um, so yeah, you guys remember that? Uh, great movie. That's a way. great way to identify him. Yeah, I, I applaud you. Well, and also uh, I, I will also bring up the the very awesome comparison that I did on my Facebook to where his character Red from Pineapple Express was indestructible. Michael Myers is indestructible, so it was perfect. <laughs> it was a marriage meant to happen. Okay, so all that out of the way, we saw the trailers. We saw everything leading up to this point. We were ready to go. I just wanted to see this thing. It was produced uh, by you know one of my favorite companies working, Blumhouse. Make it for cheap. Get the biggest bang for your buck. I'm all for that. Now, he's made some stupid comments recently. He's not a perfect human, but I still uh, respect the man for what he does business-wise, and hopefully uh, he can take those stupid comments and do something positive, but that's a different discussion for another day. Okay. Um, I just want to mention that because it, it made me feel a tad ashamed for liking him. Uh, but I realize that people have faults and people can change. Um, <laughs> he did he did apologize, which I will give him credit for. All right, so going back to the movie, I already knew what Joel thought of the movie because he posted up his review on Sundays as usual, um, regardless if we have a show. So I already know what Joel thinks. Saw the movie. I am actually on the same wavelength as Joel in terms of grade, in terms of how I feel. This movie is fine. Now, I don't understand people that, especially with some of the quotes on this thing, where people are just like, this is the greatest movie uh, in the franchise. This is the greatest movie ever. It's just a great movie, period. What a great horror film. I don't know what they saw. Um, there was potential here, but a lot of wasted potential. So I'm going to try to do my best to kind of tell you both sides on why I liked it, why I disliked it, because I'm literally split down the middle. I, I this, this is one of those cases, once again, where it was like the Happy Time Murders, where I'm just like, it's fine. Like, there's there's nothing inherently bad about it. There's a lot of issues with it, but it's not really a good movie either. It's just kind of, it's just there. And I think that's a little bit more disappointing for me because I was, I was expecting a lot more. Maybe I shouldn't have, because it was a part of a genre that doesn't require a lot of thinking of a lot of thinking, but I figured they would have done something different. So let me try to break out my thoughts as, as well as I could. So I'm going to start with David Gordon Green, which I think he did, uh, something very terrible, um, which is mixing styles. So I think what David was trying to do was be like the original, which is not a bad thing if you want to kind of like do an homage to the original, but also put your own spin on it because there was a lot of interesting things with like cinematography and the way he would um, cut together Michael's kills. And it just, it felt like the original where it was more of, 
this shape, this entity that was going across the neighborhood rather than just a straight up, you know, stabby, stabby, murder, 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 kind of like what Zombie did, uh, Rob Zombie's version, which, by the way, I actually like the first one. I don't really, the second one's whatever, but I actually like Rob Zombie's version of it because at least with him, he kept it consistent with like, hey, this is Rob Zombie. This is just going to be a really super violent uh, slasher film. So I got to give him props for that. He kept it consistent. What David Gordon Green did was take the violence of Zombie and put it into this one while still trying to be like the original. Where the original, yes, had violence, but it wasn't inherently gory. It wasn't like over the top. It was just right for that type of movie, but it was still able to creep you out. So that's what was kind of weird to me. He kind of did this mix mash of like, being like the original in style, but being the violence of the Rob Zombie movies. I don't know. It was just, it was a mix that did not work well for me. But I will say when he attempted to kind of be like the original, I was all for it. Um, I thought the, the tracking shots and the use of cinematography in this was just, it was kind of gorgeous a little bit with just how intricate it was and uh, the choreography and everything. So I, I really did appreciate that. It really kept the movie kind of lively, kept it going, especially focusing on a movie with a, a serial killer that moves at the, the pace of a snail. It's nice to have that kind of, um, you know, flair to it uh, visually to keep it kind of um, fresh while you're watching it. Another thing that I thought that Gordon Green and I'm going to blame Danny McBride as well, is that they put a lot in this movie, but nothing really happens. Like, there's a lot going on in this movie, but ultimately, at the very end, nothing really matters, and nothing really happens. Now, there there has been some time since this, since this movie's come out, so I am going to give Joel full um, steam ahead to spoil stuff if he needs to. And I'm going to have to do some of this stuff because a lot of my issues are with the writing and how characters just kind of come in and out of the story and they, they make it seem like they're going to have a lot of weight and then they're just gone. It's just, okay. So anyways, going to the writing of this thing, the movie starts out with two characters, uh, the two reporters that go to, you know, the asylum or whatever, show the mask. They try to taunt Michael, yada, yada, yada. Then, 10 minutes later, Michael's already slicing these people up. And it's like, the movie sets it up to where, like, it seems like these are going to be important people. Then they're just gone. Okay? So then we, you know, we cut to, like, uh, Lori's granddaughter. She kind of, like, comes up out of the fray. We get to know her. We get to know her friends. And then we don't really see her friends anymore, so that was kind of pointless. Then we see her daughter, played by Judy Greer, where it's like, okay, so we're going to start to focus on that a little bit. She says a little backstory, and then we just kind of cut away to something else. And it's just, then people are dying, and then they, you know, it's just like, why were they there in the first place? And then we're introduced to, like, weird subplots with, like, a love triangle. And, um, you know, like, the haunted past of her daughter. And, like, that just really never goes anywhere. So it just kind of boils down to all these characters in this melting pot with really nothing to do. Except to kind of, you know, propel some type of story along so it's not just 20 minutes of slice and dice and then we leave. I get that, but I just felt like they juggled around too much and it just it came across as a little sloppy to me. 
and didn't really work story-wise. Now, on the other hand, if you want to talk about um, the actual setup to the kills and what Michael's doing, I don't really like the violence in it because it doesn't really fit. Um, I realize that Michael has done more violent iterations of this character, but like I said, when you mix the zombie violence with the visual aesthetic of Carpenter's original, or at least trying to, to pay homage to it, it doesn't work for me. And so there's actually like some shocking moments where I was like, it didn't really have to be that graphic. It, it really didn't. Um, so the violence to me was a complete shut off, uh, j- just from enjoying it. And I, I enjoy violent movies and gory movies that just doesn't bother me. It's just, it didn't really fit for this movie. Um, there's also some taboo things. This has nothing to do with my critique, but I was just kind of shocked that Michael kills a, a like a 12 year old in this movie. I was like, Oh, I, I didn't know he killed kids. Um, and so that was, that was quite shocking. Um, uh, anyways, back to the, the movie itself, you know, for as much as like there is juggling around all these characters, I thought the acting was fine. Um, I really like the granddaughter. She's got potential in her career. She's going to go far. I, I really liked her quite a bit. She's she kind of had the same, you know, characteristics and mannerisms as Laurie Strode in the original, uh, and really kind of coming into her own at the very end. Uh, which, by the way, side note: at the very end, they allude to something that's really. It doesn't just, make any sense. It doesn't make, it any, doesn't sense. make any sense. And yeah. it, it was—it was. They're a... trying to. They're. I'm going to get into this a little yeah. bit. This is this is the one spoiler thing that I'll probably talk about. Well, um, I'm going to mention the the one spoiler that kind of irritated me the most. But like, this was the one where I was really confused as to why they ended on this shot, and they could have ended it elsewhere. Anyways, um, <laughs> other than that, I actually really enjoy her. She was very charismatic on screen. I want to see more from her. I thought Judy Greer was wasted. She's got a couple moments in the movie, but it's like, and I get it. She looks like Jamie Lee Curtis. That's wonderful casting uh, from a a facial standpoint and um, a family line standpoint. But she was given nothing to do. And on top of all that, you got her husband making peanut butter on dick jokes for five scenes. And it's just, What? And I'm a, I'm a you know, kind of trail off on the humor here. The humor is just awful. I, I didn't. The only thing I laughed at was, um, and Joel knows what I'm talking about. There's a a babysitting scene with a, a certain kid. That kid was cool. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I thought he, he was, had a lot of like swagger to him. He like, was absolutely the only thing here that that comedically worked for me. Yeah, yeah. It, he was the only thing because he's a kid. So mm-hmm. the kind of like weird antics that would come out of his mouth actually makes yeah. sense. And <laughs> yeah. that was funny to me. Other than that, I thought the humor in this was awful. And also that goes back to the conflicting tone thing. You have Michael Myers, one of the most sadistic uh, serial killers out there in the fictional universe. And we have this movie where not only are they cracking jokes and none of them work, we have a three-minute probably five minutes scene dedicated to talking about sandwiches. And that's where I'm just like, mm. what, what was the point in that? Where was the direction in that? It just seems so aimlessly. And once again, it goes back to, I don't think they knew what they wanted to do in terms of tone or capturing top, some type of consistency. It just, it just, it's all over the place. All right. So going back to 
um, the characters and the acting. Um, I like Jamie Lee Curtis. I thought she was fine in this movie, but it's just more of the one of those things where it's like, yeah, she was badass in that third act, but does that justify, first of all, her character being there the entire movie? And I think I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, and, because and, this this movie is this movie is it doesn't do a very well, very well. I'm giving away my thoughts here, but uh, <laughs> um, primarily it's about Michael Myers as a as a source of trauma. And which I, I, think, I, I, I totally get, but it, you should do your whole movie around that and not just have it in brief scenes. You know what I'm saying? Like we're we're dealing with like no, 40... I get it. I I don't think they man, I don't think they manage it well, but I think that no. ev- that almost every one of her scenes. When it comes down to it, is about exploring that, and so I, I, I'm gonna disagree with this whenever I get into my review. But okay, go ahead, and, and, and that's fine. I mean, like I said, she was she was cool to witness in that third act, um, and there might have been a couple scenes where it worked, but once again, it felt like she was in a different movie uh, than everyone else, and I just I wish they would have stuck down a route and went down it. Um, now I will say that third act. Speaking of that. I don't mean this in a sarcastic way. I'm not being snooty. There are a couple of shots at the very end that will make my top shots of the year. Uh, one of which is Michael at the bottom of the stairs with with fire surrounding him, and you can barely see his eyes through the mask. Mm. That was one of the best shots I've seen all year. Uh, stuck in a very confusing movie. Um, um, and also, there, uh, right before the fire lit up, there was like a brief fire around him where he was more of a silhouette. And that was more of his shape um, kind of look in the first one. And then when the eye kind of shows up with the fire around him, that symbolizes the kind of like the the demon walking on earth type of deal. And now he's in hell. And it's just, I don't know. I thought that was a really, really awesome shot. That will make um, my top shots of the year for sure. Um, and I guess last thing to kind of wrap it up, uh, the soundtrack is great. Uh, or, I mean, the score. It's just Carpenter takes the kind of mysterious um, little tones that he put together and created the one of the most iconic horror sound, uh, you know, scores. And they amped it up with, like, this really bodacious bassy techno and mm. it, it worked so well because it, it catches you off guard when you hear the dun 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 and then it comes in with this this fat bass line which is boom like it just it's something that knocks you in the face uh in the best way possible and it, it's definitely uh a uh a great improvement on the original without like squandering it and of course Car- carpenter you know, did it with his son and uh, one of his son's friends. So obviously he had some say in it. And so I just thought it was a nice blend of like uh, honoring the original iconic sound, but also making this modern kind of um, sound to it. And it was just, I don't know. I just, I thought it was great. Um, And uh, you know, with the ending shot being as ambiguous as it was and kind of dumb, I got to be honest with you. I'm going to see it because I'm a sucker for it, and I hate the fact that I'm a sucker for Blumhouse projects and, of course, Halloween, but I don't want to see a sequel. It's just one of those movies that put me in such a bum mood where I was just like, it's it's a whatever movie, and I just I don't see where you could go with it 
that um, could make me like the sequel. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention the twist I was going to tell you about. And this goes back to the whole, like, characters popping in and out of the movie and then us expecting to feel some type of weight when something is revealed. So there is a Dr. Loomis type of character in this movie, which, by the way... They literally they literally yeah, they call him the new Loomis. The yeah. new Loomis. So thank you yeah. for the wink, I guess. Anyways, <laughs> this guy is in the back of... Um, uh, or in the front of a cop car. The cop car is going after Michael. They hit Michael. This uh, doctor runs out and he's just like, don't, don't hurt him, don't kill him. And then he takes out this weird pin. He uh, un- uncaps it and then stabs the uh, um, cop in the neck. Just straight up kills him. And just like, I'm going to keep Michael alive. I need to study him. So it's like, oh, look, the doctor's you know, going just as crazy as him because of his obsession. But here's the kicker. So you're thinking to yourself like, Oh, that's an interesting twist. Well, first of all, we saw this Loomis type of character, I think, twice before that. Twice. And this was supposed to be, like, some big reveal that we were supposed to care about. So not only did that not work, he died, like, two minutes later. So what was the point of that? What was the the point of this, this twist that you threw at us out of nowhere that made no sense, it had no buildup, and then it just dies off as if it didn't mean anything. So that was the twist that uh, really I hated the most. Um, so some good stuff, some bad stuff. Um, I, I'm down the middle with it. Um, see, I mean, there's really nothing more to say. I Will I watch a sequel? Yes, because I hate myself because I'm a sucker for this stuff. Do I want to see a sequel now after watching this and knowing what they did? To this uh, type of iteration, I really don't. So that's just that's my thoughts on it, man. I'm just kind of lukewarm on it. So your rating, you said your rating is a is what again? A C. A C. Okay, that's yes. what I said. Um, yeah, I'm. I guess I'll just give it away. I'm giving it a C as well. Uh, so we are pretty much in the same boat on this, I guess, except for a couple of things, but. I, I guess I'll just start with the fact that I think that they took up at the wrong point in this story. I don't think that they should have ignored all of the Halloween sequels, if they really ignored them, which we can debate the definition of the word ignored um, in a second. So here's my – I'll just start with my history of the series uh, – or with the series, I should say. So <laughs> – all right, I hadn't seen any of the sequels or the reboots um, or the spinoff, which is Season of the Witch, um, before attempting to do so a few weeks ago. Uh, I watched the I watched the original Halloween two, and I quite liked that. I found that it was it was a pretty ambitious sequel, uh, nowhere near the first one, of course, but it was ambitious in that it it expanded the the scope of the search for Michael in a in a in an interesting way, kind of wasted Laurie in the process, but I thought that by centering the action on Loomis, um, it, it, it was quite ambitious and, and pretty effective. And I, and I kind of liked that. Um, and then I watched season of the witch. I thought that was lame. Sure. It's doing something different, but it's doing it in a really dull way. And then I went into the fourth movie and I kind of mentally checked out about 20 minutes in and just kind of, it coasted by, I didn't really take in anything that was going on. Um, and suddenly it was a 
something of a slog to think that I would need to watch more of them. So what I did instead was I watched um, a 35-minute video that took me through the uh, all of the timelines up until uh, uh, all of the timelines, not including Season of the Witch, which doesn't uh, involve Michael Myers at all, and then also not the reboots, but all of the other movies, um, including the first one, its first sequel, the mid-series trilogy that primarily follows Michael, and then the two movies that brought uh, Laurie back into the into the into a third timeline, kind of. Um, so uh, here's the problem with this movie. I think that even though it says that it's ig- ignoring the sequels, it's really kind of not in the way that it constantly calls back to them. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you, even having not seen the movies, I know, I know what happens in them. So this is where it's going to get into slightly spoilerish territory. Um, but okay. So the main, main place that we find Lori here is one where she has gone into hiding, right? Essentially. I mean, it, it might kind of barely be hiding. She's still in the city that she lives in. So it's not exactly like Halloween H20, but it's basically Halloween H20 um, or H2O, however you say that. I think it's H20. But um, uh, where she had changed her name and moved to another city uh, to get away from Michael back when the storyline was uh, still that they were siblings. Um and of course, the fact that they were siblings is something that was introduced at the end of the second movie, um, and that's something that they ignore. They also ignore the nonsense involving the Druid cult from the mid-series trilogy um, that it ultimately turned into in Halloween Six. Uh, but once again, Michael escapes from a bus of some sort. That's something that he's done twice, so there's nothing new there. Um, once again, we have uh, fr- dating friends who meet bloody ends, just like in the first movie. Uh, once again, we have a young, nubile heroine who is headstrong and, and resourceful when worse comes to worse. And once again, a bunch of her friends die along the way to, once again, a climax that's very fiery. And here, yeah, sure, it reverses kind of the the... Uh, there is a, there is really there's one really cool shot that reverses the uh, reveal at the end of the first movie, um, which was of Loomis having shot um, Michael and then going down there and he's gone. Uh, they reverse that here in a really clever way, so I like that. And they reverse the dynamic between uh, Laurie and Michael in a certain way because at some point the predator prey kind of dynamic reverses and that's and that's neat but guys there's there's let's i feel like people built themselves up to think that there was going to be something different about this movie in relation to the other ones and there's really not it's just recooking a lot of reheating i guess a lot of the tropes that um that this series has seen before and giving it a 2018 kind of sheen it does look it does look impressive. It's got it's got an uh, uh, attractive cinematography. It's got cool long takes. It's got um, 
a, a logical or a, a, an internally logical way of kind of following Michael behind his back, um, you know, as he goes forth and finds new weapons and victims, and that's nice, but it's really not, you know, offering anything new except the place that it finds Lori, which is a, a person who is suffering PTSD from the events of her youth. And, uh, and so I feel like, um, there's been a, it's like in the eighties, I think still on Rotten Tomatoes. It might be lower now, but, um, let me see actually, cause I'm curious now, 79%. So uh, fairly high. And I feel like it's been a bit overrated because of the fact that it's new, but it's really not new. It's not doing anything unusual or unexpected. Um, and you're right. There's such a weird melding of tones here. There's the stuff with comedy, which doesn't really work. The subplot involving the podcasters is basically the subplot involving the reality TV goons from the, from Halloween resurrection. And that kind of ends before it ever gets even remotely interesting. And, um, cause they exit the movie, if you will. Um, and the kills are fairly generic. I, I don't particularly find this movie to be scary. Uh, I think that the original film is scary in a classical way. It's not looking to constantly jump out at you. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's a very classical kind of horror film in that it plays you like a piano. It does the best things that, that Hitchcock would have done, I think. And, in fact, I feel like Hitchcock would have loved the, the original movie um, in that it, it plays the audience like a piano constantly and, – and to kind of borrow two, um, two Hitchcock phrases here – and it constantly just teases at that bomb under the table. It doesn't, it doesn't explode into a bunch of violence because it doesn't feel like the need, it, it needs to. And here you're right. I mean there's, there's moments here of violence, uh, particularly one involving a head that is just – ridiculously bloody and gory and it doesn't need to be in there and um yeah so so much of this movie just comes across as as kind of um just really unnecessary um and it's competently made it you know and i i guess i understand why they they bring this character back he is a he is a frightening character uh, but I don't think he's a frightening character because of, in any particular way, this movie's attempts to make him scary. I think he's scary already. Uh, he was already frightening because he's that kind of inescapable evil who never runs. He just walks uh, very quickly. And in fact, I kind of posted on my on my Facebook page or Twitter or somewhere that for Halloween, I think I'm going to go as Michael Myers' uh, uh, slow walking uh, pace. Because it's pretty, it's pretty scary. I mean, it, it's where it follows got that kind of idea. For instance, it, it, people understand that walking slowly towards something is scarier than running at it, like Jason and um, to some to some extent Freddy Krueger do. And um, that's why Halloween is a masterpiece, and Friday the Thirteenth is kind of a whiff, uh, in my opinion. The original, even, um, it, it's because there's genuinely scary stuff there. And here they've just kind of updated it to be the most generic thing possible, um, except for the traumatic stuff, which I think is ex explored quite well through – not through the writing. I think that that simplifies it too much. But through the, uh, through the performance by Jamie Lee Curtis, who I think fits snugly back into this role that 
provided her her breakthrough. And um, she's very good here. I, I, I think that she's good. I think Judy Greer is solid. There's a moment. Uh, let's just say that there's a paradigm shift for the Judy Greer character. There's something that she has to uh, like kind of take in and, and uh, process in a, a few seconds before getting to safety. And I think that she does that well by not talking at all. Um, and that's a cool moment. Uh, I think that the girl is really good. Annie Medichak, um, quite good here. And, uh, so the actors are good, but it's just got this weird, like tonal imbalance. All the stuff with the humor doesn't work except for that kid. Um, nowhere in any universe is the line of dialogue. Oh man, there's peanut butter on my penis or whatever fit into a Halloween movie. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. And, so you just have this weird, like, um, uh, tonal imbalance. This idea that everything's got to be simplified to its, to their most, like, to the broadest ideas and to the broadest kind of storytelling. There's no attempt to um, uh, go any sort of any in any way deeper, except in these weird moments where it seems to psychoanalyze Michael. As somebody who can only be alive if um, if he can seek and kill Lori, it's kind of weird because I feel like that's exactly the point that you know the reason he's so scary. You don't have to psychoanalyze that at all. Um, so then uh, there's this final note that I wanted to end on, uh, and that is my spoiler part. So Chase had his, I have mine. Uh, and I get yours, by the way. I think, um, I think that yours is a good point. But my least favorite thing here was the baffling final shot that seems to want to frame. And again, this is just borrowing from previous movies. That basically seems to want to frame the granddaughter as kind of like Michael's other sister from Halloween Four, uh, because there's a very, it's a very similar. I mean, well. I say it's a, it's a it's a very similar physical framing of the characters and the uh, and the knife, um, even though absolutely nothing else about the scenes is similar. They're trying to do that uh, to some degree because um, uh, both of the characters have just used the knife, except that there's no similarity in how they use it. Um, and it's just it's just baffling to me that that um, uh, that they would do that. And so. Yeah, I just I just think it's it's kind of a it's a big disappointment. It's really it's really disappointing and uh yeah, so I'm giving it a C as well. It's you know, it's at the top of the uh the box office, but um in any way in any case, uh, I want your thoughts on these and meanwhile, I'm just going to step away real fast. Okay. Um yeah, no, I I never would have thought in a million years that uh <laughs> Joel, Joel and I would have the same, uh, same grade as them. And, you know, I, I, I've watched the series, uh, you know, front and back. I think the only one I haven't seen is, um, the third one. Yeah. The, the one that's basically the one where they try to do something different and love the first one. I actually really like the second one. I think as a double feature, it's a great three hour movie. It's such a great three hour movie. Um, the hospital, uh, that whole setup and scene in the sequel is fantastic. And of course, four through six, you know, they got their fans, they got their problems. 
Um, H2O, I, I saw a million times. Um, uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Resurrection is <clears throat> something of a different animal for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, who is it? Exhibit does the karate kick on Michael fun stuff. Um, and then of course you have Rob Zombie's versions that have been kind of a lot is the worst ones. I don't find it to be the case. I kind of like the fact that we spent a lot of time in the hospital in the first one, uh, with zombies version. I don't, you know, I understand why people don't like it and keeping the mystery, uh, mystery, uh, the mystery alive with Michael and not really know too much about his upbringing in the hospital. But I found it to be, you know, it's gratuitous for sure, but at least that's zombies version and he keeps it, you know, consistent. So I actually like that one. And of course the second one, it's whatever. I don't remember it. Um, and so, yeah, so now we're here to the, the new one. So, no, Joel, while you were gone, I'm just going over the, uh, the what, what I briefly think of each one of them. I, I still think, um, I know a lot of people love the first one. I do, too. But I think the the first and second one, like the original first and second, is such a great three-hour movie. It, it's, yeah. it's a really great double feature. And, and actually, I had a thought. I was wondering what you thought about this. So, um, I think that what they needed to do is not ignore all of the sequels, but pick up where the second one left off and kept the brother, the brother angle. And I know that that was kind of a silly thing, you know, uh, to do in the series, but I think that they should have just ignored the other two movies that she was in and the mid series trilogy that tried to like, um, do whatever the thing involved, involving the cult and, and all of that. And just kind of take off from there. Maybe even if, you know, they'd have needed to wait until 2021 to do it. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that they should have done that because, uh, there's, I, I, I just feel like they pick up with kind of a less interesting period, even though I like the trauma stuff. Um, it just doesn't seem to fit. Do you think, do you um, think like the, the, because the they, they had established and... they had established a timeline mm-hmm. kind of with those first two, and so now they're kind of ignoring that second part. And I just I just feel like they try to make too many um, uh, excuses not to connect to that. So uh, let, let me let me ask you this: Then do you think if maybe they kept the sibling angle that the trauma and the kind of um, bloodline relatability between them two? Do you think that would have people, I guess, I don't want to say not care about Laurie Strode more, but do you think that would have helped not only the movie, but her character and her, her arc? For I, people like me that just thought the movie was okay or for people that didn't even like the movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not an easy question to answer because we have a movie. Um, so, you know. It's not easy to answer that. I think I just think that um, first of all, they would have been able to redeem themselves not really using her very well in the in the original second movie. Uh, they kind of push her to the background. She's just kind of a psychiatric patient, and she doesn't really come into anything until the finale of the second movie. Um, but I just I think that it it would have made more sense to kind of consider this the third of a trilogy, maybe stopped it here, but 
consider this the third of a trilogy that included the fact that uh, part of the source of her trauma might have been the fact that it was her brother. And I think that that might have been a more interesting route than he was simply a source of trauma, even though that's interesting. And I think that and I think that that's relevant right now. I just I think that it would have been more interesting if they kept kept the brother angle and not tried to go into the all of the other stuff that the um, uh, and H20 kind of did the same thing. I mean, obviously, they you know, he comes back uh, years later and all that. But um, if, they, if, this, they, if they keep the first two in play, it actually is a pretty nice little book in with the fire in the, yeah. at the end of number two and then the fire at the end of this one. Yeah, yeah, it 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 would it would have fit, and I feel like that's probably another callback. By the way, yeah, um, there's too many callbacks in this movie. I think it's it's actually kind of lip service the movie, or fan service the movie, um, in, in many ways, and I think that that's one of the problems it has. So, yeah, uh, it's well, just, in a, a, oh, I j- just real quick before we move on, um, I, I know that you you enjoy you know cinematography as much as I do and stuff. Did you did you think that shot of um, Lori looking down and it cutting to mm. Michael looking up with just a brief like shining of his eye with the fire surrounding him. Like, please tell me like you thought that shot was cool. Oh yeah. Very cool. Uh, there's a lot of really cool shots in here and yeah. even like taking the, the fact that it's so befuddling out of it. The final shot is striking for instance. I think that it's, it's strikingly framed considering what's happening, but yeah, I mean there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of visual moments that work. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and that's, I, I that's love that one. shot. That whole by the way. scene, that whole scene is filled with great cinematography. Yeah, um, I just, I just love, love, love that shot. Just because it, yeah. it just reminds me of like, you know, people on the street in the, in Fairfield going, "This is like a demon walking on Earth," and it's like now that shot is true because it looks like he's standing in hell and he's literally staring at Lori, going, "I'm coming back for you." And it's like there's nothing more frightening than that. And I just wish like the whole movie visually on a visual language scale would be on uh, like that, like that shot. And I think that would actually provide more scares for, you know, people like you that didn't feel like you got enough scares. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like it's competently made. Yes. For sure. On a technical level, it's a, it's a really well done movie technically in terms of, yeah, but it's also, it's also kind of plastic though. It it doesn't, at the same time. Yes. Yeah, it it doesn't feel like it's it's stretching to frighten us, and I feel like the original is, um, in in very very successful ways. I watched the original movie right before. Um, uh, yeah, we 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 did too, yeah. <laughs> and it was and such a stark contrast. Yeah, it is a pretty remarkable piece of work uh, still today. I, I I actually watched it. Fun fun fact. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, Anchor Bay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which went out of business years ago. Now they they've uh, since been bought up by Stars Media, so there are DVD and Blu-ray releases distributed by them. But back before the lawsuit and all that, um, they distributed a bunch of stuff from uh, Monty Python movies to a bunch of horror movies to Thomas and Friends DVDs. I kid you not. Um, that all went out of print, and you can actually tell. If you ever come across anything with a little, um, the little picture on the side that's the sailboat, yeah, the sailboat. Uh, and I watched the rewatched the movie on the out of print 25th edition, 25th anniversary edition that came from pre Stars Media Anchor Bay. 
Um, and I got to say, I don't think I'd ever actually watched a movie on an Anchor Bay DVD from that era. Um, and dude, they were great DVD transfer, uh, a great DVD transfer company. If it's on the basis of that transfer, because it looks, uh, it looks crisper than a lot of DVDs I've seen. Um, yeah, I, pretty, no, I, pretty, I'm totally uh, with you. I have, uh, I believe that my version of Halloween is the Anchor Bay DVD. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, I bought it way back when, before they even had that dispute. Yeah, yeah, uh, because that happened in 2003, um, and that's, that's, and it kind of finalized in 2005, so, uh, a lot of stuff before that has gone way out of print, uh, and in fact, like, the Phantasm movies, the Don Coscarelli, um, those are all Anchor Bay on DVD, and they've just recently kind of, I think it's, uh, Scream Factory put those on Blu-ray, but those were all Anchor Bay. Those are all very out of print. So there's there's a lot of stuff that um, uh, that was put on there and uh, very valuable on uh, places like Amazon and eBay. And um, obviously, where I work has a wide range of um, things that are available on DVD, including stuff that's out of print because of how we work. And so I was able to rent that and uh, really good quality transfer for an early 2000s dvd just very surprising all right guys um so that's our review of halloween and now i'm going to move on to my extra review which is for the hate you give uh this is a new movie from director george tillman jr and i'm not kidding you uh when i say the movies that he directed of notorious and the longest ride um he also directed faster with Dwayne Johnson, uh, various other things. He's kind of a prolific director. Um, this one stars uh, Amanda Stenberg as a young woman named Star. Uh, she lives on. She lives in the ghetto of her neighborhood, but she uh, attends an affluent Catholic school uh, as her high school, and um, so she's got this kind of interesting perspective on on. The privilege of her friends, she puts on a facade of this uh, this young African American woman who doesn't so-called act black. Uh, that's her words. And uh, one day, her life changes uh, forever when she is uh, leaving a party with her longest uh, time or longtime childhood friend. Uh, they are stopped by a policeman, and her friend is killed uh, when he refuses to follow a rule uh, given him by the police officer. And this sparks a major event in the town, of course. Um, a protest develops that turns into a riot. A lawyer played by Issa Rae wants, to, wants her to testify and to give an interview on television. Uh, her parents, including uh, – played by Russell Hornsby and um, – is it Regina Hall? Yes. Okay. Uh, I always get Regina Hall and Regina King because of their names mixed mm. up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, played by Regina Hall. Uh, they want her to uh, – well, they have kind of different opinions here. Uh, her mother wants her to refocus on school and her father wants her to uh, speak if she wants to speak and not let anybody tell her not to. Um, 
and she also gets a bit of an unkind view into how her friends work, including one played by Sabrina Carpenter, who quickly reveals that she's kind of a racist. And her boyfriend, Chris, uh, is white and you know, in his privilege can't quite understand her world uh, in her head. And uh, this is very much a character study as much as it is a political statement. And it's quite good. Um, I quite like this. I think that first and foremost, the best thing about this movie is Amanda Stenberg's performance. Get this young woman an Oscar campaign right now because this is one of the best performances of the year. It's impassioned. Um, there are moments here where she clearly has let the acting of the moment kind of uh, take her off into um, you know, places as an actress that she probably didn't realize she could go, particularly during the protest at the end. Um, also good, Russell Hornsby as her father. Uh, he, this character is a former gang member who lives by the Black Panther Code and um, – also lives by the code of Thug Life. Uh, that's the acronym made popular by Tupac Shakur. Um, can't really I, – I don't want to say it here because it involves a, <laughs> uh, an F word. But in any case, uh, it it provides part of the title. The Hate You Give is part of that uh, um, acronym. So, uh, yeah, and, and then uh, – this movie gets stronger and stronger as it goes, although I think that it's distracted by one subplot, and I will get there. Chase probably knows what I'm talking about. Um, but I want to talk about the strengths first, and I think that it's very much because there's a lot of passionate politics here uh, that are conveyed with real uh, like vigor and, and, and hardline truth. Um, that kind of splits this event at the center of the movie into seeing it as two injustices. There's the broad one, of course, that uh, police should not be this um, this militant in their attempts to police. Uh, there's also the specific one, and I think that the stronger ver the stronger portions of the movie exist within the specific injustice. Of the situation, uh, which I was surprised, I was pleasantly surprised uh, by the scene that actually plays out because it captures all of the confusion, including that of the officers, because he genuinely believes in a moment, in one moment, that he sees uh, a weapon, and there's a there's a very telling moment that captures him as he realizes the uh, impact of his actions. He uh, – and I, and I felt like that was a very forceful moment. Of course, it mostly focuses on Star's face um, as she realizes what's occurring, but it takes in the whole confusion of the moment. And I think that that's kind of where this movie lives, and it's quite effective. Um, the broad injustice, I think – the broad injustice part of it, um, you know, with the – testimony and the uh and the tv interview the movie occasionally glosses over some of that but it's for a good reason it's because it's putting us in the mindset of this character who is a teenager she doesn't really have everything figured out and she's currently figuring everything out 
And it's a it's an invaluable perspective because it gives us a direct line into today's youth, uh, particularly youth of color. And uh, and through Stenberg's performance, I keep coming back to this, but it's just such a special performance that uh, really conveys a lot of these paradigm shifts in her life with such grace. And it's it's all the hallmarks of a great performance. Now, the uh, the filmmaking is solid. I think that it um, sometimes falls into the trap of looking kind of TV movie-ish, particularly during the protests at the end. I think that some of the editing um, and or the uh, uh, the cinematography, sorry, uh, the the style of cinematography uh, can kind of tip over into that. Um, but it's very well edited. There's it's a long movie. Uh, it's taking on a lot. It's more than two hours, uh, two hours and 13 minutes, I think. Um, and it's taking on a lot, but I think that it balances most of this pretty well uh, in a very, uh, again, kind of returning to this sort of uh, a graceful way. Uh, and it's quite good. Uh, the one thing that I don't really like here, and I think that it's because the movie puts so much focus on it by the end, is a subplot involving a gang leader played by Anthony Mackie. Um, it, it, you know, he's good in the role. Uh, he has a history with the Russell Hornsby character, um, and also with the character played by Common, who is a cop and Star's uncle, um, that is interesting, but the movie doesn't really explore that. And instead it just kind of turns this character into a villain and into a kind of external conflict that the movie doesn't need. Uh, if they had done more to explore that character, I think that they could have done more with that subplot than what they do. But it ultimately pushes the protest slash riot, uh, the climax into the into the background. And I think that that is a problem. Um, so the movie loses some of its focus and some of its luster, if you will, uh, because of that. Uh, however, it's not nearly enough to derail the movie, which I think is quite strong. And... Um, yeah, I, I quite like this. The performances are all really good. The um, uh, the filmmaking is solid. The 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 way that this movie tells the story, even if it kind of also uh, relies a little too much on narration, uh, is really confidently um, approached. And I I quite liked it. It's uh, it's maybe not in the in the top tier of the year for me as it is for a lot of other people, but I'm giving it a strong B. It's it's a good movie, and uh, I know that you pretty much agree with me, right, Chase? Yeah, I I, I rated it a, a little higher, but I um I I totally agree with you with uh, Stimberg. I, I I put it uh, with her performance as ferocious and heartbreaking, and yeah. she she balances the two where like she is a teenager that that doesn't really know how to comprehend this stuff, and but she, like you said, she slowly learning and she actually has to grow up faster than she's going to age. And so she has to, you know, kind of turn around really quickly in um, uh, her age. And I, I just thought that she had that ferocity that mm. she brought to the table that you felt like this was a teenager that would go hang out with her friends. But then also by the end of the movie, you felt like she was just this full fledged mature adult. And then at the same time, she was also getting crushed, you know, by stuff her father would say or stuff uh, by the system. And it just it was a lot. It was overwhelming. And so that's where the heartbreak kind of comes in, where 
she it just shows you that she is 100% human where like she's got these drives these motivations but also can show this kind of heartbreak to her and just it's a well-rounded performance yeah uh, it's going to be interesting because I'm about to be in a couple weeks uh, catching up with The Darkest Minds, which is her other big role this year. Big is a relative term, I guess, but um, that's the YA thing that's X-Men-ish. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see that as kind of like a um, uh, juxtaposition to this, uh, just because they seem like such different <laughs> movies and performances. Both YA adaptations, but that's about it. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty strong movie. So, all right, guys, um, no, Chase, I've just kind of decided this on the spot because I realized it, but no box office this week, um, because we would only have to report the last weekend and that wouldn't be relevant considering a lot of people are going to be listening to this next week. So we'll just leave it. We'll yeah. just leave it off here. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll leave it off. The only thing we will say, uh, you know, Halloween opened up to seventy seven million, three million shy of Venom, which I didn't even think was possible for either one of those movies. So that's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a big, big hit. Uh, I'm glad. That, I'm I'm certainly glad that people like it. I think that yeah. chases too. Yeah, I mean, we want this. We wanted this movie to succeed. You know, it was highly anticipated on both of our parts. So. Uh, glad that people seem to be liking it and glad people are seeing it. Uh, it certainly will fund a lot of David Gordon Green projects in the future. So that's a good thing. Um, and yeah, so let us know what you thought of Halloween, the hate you give, the news this week, the trailers this week, all below. Um, and uh, yeah, all right. So uh, online, you can find my writing at joelfilm.com. Um, as of when you can all hear this i should have new reviews up um and i won't list all of those but um should have new reviews up including beautiful boy which i see on friday i haven't seen it yet i don't know how it is but by the time most people are listening to this i'll have a review of that and a bunch of stuff from uh, home viewing so um you can also find me on twitter at real joel copeling that's r-e-e-l joel copeling um and on letterboxd at j copeling so um Oh, and some of my writing at uh, DallasMovieScreenings.com, and that includes this very weekend. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, uh, I will have I will have some stuff. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me, Chase. Where can they find you? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, and you'll get you know random reviews that I'll throw up there. Or if you want to listen to what I thought of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, before the podcast, it'll be up there. Uh, you don't have to, but it will be there. Um, I'm reviewing a HBO documentary um, here pretty soon. Uh, I missed out on a screener because when I opened it the other day, it was expired. So not going to be reviewing that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the first time I've ever missed an expiration, but it's just, I just been busy. You know, my headspace wasn't there, so I, I guess it was for the better. So um, other than that, that's all the stuff I got going on this week, uh, and also. Uh, very important. Uh, two things very important. First, you know, for this show, whether it's on Spreaker, CastBox, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to this, please spread it around. Like this, share it, and let people know this is the um, definitive movie podcast that you just love listening to. And hopefully we can, you know, kind of grow the community a little bit. And second thing, I can't believe it's taken five years to do this, but Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast 
has a Twitter account, a, an official <laughs> Twitter account for the show. Um, that way I'm not just posting on my Twitter all the time, and I'm just going to retweet it, and people can like it, follow it. And even if um, I, we stay at four followers, I'm still going to keep doing that um, just because I don't want to bother people. And, you know, if Joel and I want to keep doing this for a long time, we need to make sure we have an official Twitter account, so we do, and it's at Podcast. So uh, just search for it. You will find it. Give us a follow uh, and then retreat stuff. You know, you guys know how that stuff works. But anyways, next week, as we alluded to, it will be Bohemian uh, Rhapsody. Uh, it will be episode 252. I have seen it uh, as the time of this recording. Joel has not. Uh, he knows what I think of it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be discussing the controversies uh, along with our reviews because they will play into how other people think of reviews and how we will interpret it. Who knows? Joel actually might be on that side and he might look at me like I'm, you know, sane or crazy. Who, who, who knows? I, I, I usually look at you as if you're insane. So well, I mean, let, let's... But that's okay. Um, uh, cause we had that mutual respect, but you know, that's true. It, it's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what everyone thinks for next week. So that will do it for this episode of real man colon a movie podcast. That is Joel. I am chase next week. It is Queen Time, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, so it will be a quite a listen. So I'm excited. I know you're excited. So uh, have a good ha- ha- happy Halloween. Stay safe. Don't do anything stupid because we want you to come back and listen to the future episodes. So we'll see you guys. And next, and next time you guys hear me, I'll be 29 years old. So oh, that that is very true. Uh, Joel will be an old old man. Um, you can send. <laughs> Uh, his gift cards to the Walker store and tennis ball store um, at the address down below. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it's really funny. I, I will give Joel crap till the end of time uh, because he is two, yeah, two months older than me. So um, he, he is the old one. So there you go, guys. Uh, so see you guys next week. Have a good week. Happy Halloween. Stay safe. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>